Hello and welcome back and or to two. Okay. the uh, f- fun-filtered podcast. Mm. Um, the three of us are back together, um, sort of. albeit this is via Skype, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, to clarify, that is Sam. Yes, hello. And Jordan. <laughs> hello. Um, yeah, Wales has, Wales has been thrust back into a lockdown, hasn't it? Uh, yeah. Uh, a couple of weeks of stinkers, lost episodes, and... Yeah. Um, uh, inability to meet um and then a lockdown yes <laughs> you know, we, we try we try um yeah doesn't always work i out. know but skype again you know yeah okay so um, what are we going to talk about on today's episode then gentlemen this is something new that we're going to adopt yes uh I d- there's no point trying to do it organically let's just show them the seams it's something we're going to do from now on <laughs> we're going to tell you we're going to tell well, you we're going to try we're yes. certainly going to try and do from yeah. now on so, coming up on this episode, Eddie, tell us. Uh, we have uh, me, I've got a brief discussion on Hubie Halloween. Look forward to the, that. The new Adam Sandler uh, shit. Yeah. Um, uh, we've got Borat's sequel, uh, the subsequent movie film, and whatever final iteration they went with in this for an extended title. Uh, the Trial of the Chicago 7, uh, The Haunting of Hill House, and The Haunting of Bly Manor. So... Um, All that to look forward to. I don't know where we're kicking off with. Are we kicking off with you, George? Well, actually, George, you have a new cat, don't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I didn't know we were going to bring it up. Yeah, we're going to bring it up because it's... Okay. Um, this is our ostensibly our Halloween episode, isn't it? Yes. Uh, oh, so you're bringing up, like, your your worst fear. Well... Like, I, am now, I am now housing your worst fear in Well, I was going to bring it up anyway because, well, you've just got a cat. Uh, but I should clarify, it's my sister's cat, but because yes. I'm still living in the family home, the cat is here. Yes. So why why have you got a cat? I don't have a cat. My sister has a cat. Oh, why has your sister got a cat? Because she wanted a cat. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what else to tell you. I don't know actually if we mentioned this on the last Halloween episode, but I, I I've sort of grown up in a very neutral house. So, like, for example, my mother is Catholic, but my father is atheist. Mm. So I was kind of brought up in a house where religion wasn't really discussed or brought up at all mm. and it was sort of similar thing with pets my dad is very much a dog person my mum is very much a cat person and so as a result i didn't grow up with a cat or a dog this explains um, so much how, how does it explain so i much? finally understand why you're neutral about so many subjects right. it's kind of a blessing in disguise in a way i mean it's funny because i think what some children who grow up in um not divisive but polar households like that they end up mongrelized so they kind of extract elements of both and go i'm going to form my own identity from the two mm. you know uh, sources but you've just like <laughs> oh if if this is one and this is t'other i'll just be nothing <laughs> uh, yeah so yeah. yeah so my sister has wanted a cat for a very long time but my mother keeps saying to her she's like look your father would never he doesn't like cats his his mother is of the impression that cats are like filthy animals. She's correct. <laughs> Not filthy in the oh, they're scum, be gone with them. Like they're genuinely like they yeah, carry they're, disease. They're dirty. And they're, yeah. they're dirty. Um, that is exactly what the cat thinks about you as well. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, so mum has been saying for years, like, he'll never say yes, he'll never say yes. And I think one day she just gave up and she was like, Look, if you want, just ask your father thinking that he would say no mm. and we were all sitting around the breakfast table and Darren just went out of the blue she just went dad can I have a cat and he just went yeah alright 
<laughs> just like gave it just completely folded yeah i can't that's because that'll be for, it'll be because for years your your mother's been going she's gonna ask you for a fucking cat and so she's <laughs> worn him down over the years so that Maybe. when he's fi- she's finally asked he's gone fine i mean she was she was as shocked as we were but yeah who's to say that that wasn't all a front because she has been wearing him down for years i mean now the cat is here mm. he seems to rather like the cat right um, do you like the cat I, I don't mind the cat. Yeah, oh. the cat is... Well, it's a kitten at the moment. It's like okay. 10 weeks old. It's it's nothing, basically. It's like you pick it up and it's like you're not even holding anything. Right. It's a, it's this tiny animal. So if you were going to that... snap its neck, now would be the time. <laughs> I suppose. Well, another reason I bring it up is because... I wasn't really planning on doing no. such a thing, but no, why not? But why not? the other reason I bring it up was because, yes, I realized that on our last Halloween podcast, I think we talked about cats... And mm. my relationship with cats. Mm. Yes. So it felt appropriate to read circularity. Re- yeah, circularity. The illusion yeah. of structure. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I have a few questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, here's my anxiety about it. Right? Is that I think that because your sister's on her gap year, isn't she? Yes. She's going to go off to university in a year's time, maybe, mm-hmm. mm. and uh, she's not going to be able to take the cat with her. And so the cat's going to be the house's cat. Yes. And when your parents are in work, it's going to become your cat. Right. So okay. what's actually happened is you've just got yourself a cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, that, that has been the subject of conversation. Okay. It was like before the cat was got. It's like, you know, you're probably going to be moving out in a year's time. Yeah. And it was always met with like silence or right. the, 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 the swift changing of the subject. Right. Um, does that mean that she doesn't intend on moving out, or does that mean that she knows it's going to become a problem? I think I think it's more that she knows it's going to become okay, a problem because okay. uh, she is definitely planning on going to university. We just don't know to which one yet, yes. or to do what. Mm. That's kind of the purpose of the gap year. But yeah, it's. Um, I mean, it's a kitten. It's fairly well behaved compared to what I was expecting. I don't know how well behaved kittens typically are. Right, but it it's very quiet. I thought it would be like noisy, but it's not. It's it's a Maine Coon, I should say. Mm. I don't know if you're familiar with Maine Coons, either of you. Nope. All no, I know is that it resembles a lion somewhat. Yes, it's basically the biggest of the cats. Oh, like of this thing it is. is going to grow into like a behemoth, basically. They're huge animals, Maine Coons, when they're fully grown. Uh, but she's a female. I think the females are smaller than the males, so it's like not as bad as it could be. But she's still going to be. The biggest possible house cat. So what? So what you know? I'm taking from this is that if we all end up living together in about a year's time, George's going to bring a cat. <laughs> with him. Bring oh cat. yeah, and we're going to have a cat. Oh no, I right. know, I know that this cat is going to somehow negatively affect my life. Right. <laughs> I just don't know precisely how yet because I've okay. got this dark feeling that Jordan, you are going to become its guardian. And you're going to have to ferry it to the vets and buy it cat food and do all the cat things that you're supposed to do. Right. And he's going to ask you to come along. Oh, well, I, I shan't. But only, <laughs> uh, only out of pragmatism. It's like, well, George, you're around, so like you can do all this stuff for the cat. And mm. you're going to become that cat's... Uh, it's Ben Wishaw, uh, for, for lack of a better... Oh, you think... In, for Fargo. In the Seriously, person for Fargo, Fargo. Yeah. I can see. Okay. Um, now remember, cat. Yeah. <laughs> if I don't come back, I'm dead or in jail. <laughs> yes, Exactly. Um, it means nothing to the cat and it's not even a true statement but it's still like I'll be dead or in jail if I don't come back so what is the name of this beast Uh, Marley is her name Marley yeah a famous dog is it Marley and me 
That is that's that is shambolic, <laughs> Jord, that that took you long enough to realise. Well, I didn't name the cat. No. I should point this out. It's your um, cat. Why have you not named it's it? It's not telling us it's your It is. Cat. You should have planted it's a flag there and it said, it's going to become my cat, so I should have some say in naming it. <laughs> right. uh, I, what, is it because it's a Maine Coon, so there's like an alliterative thing happening? Is that the idea? Well, Marley the Maine Coon. Yeah. No, I, I don't know. I think it was a name that was... Was that a dig, was that, was that a dig at Bob Marley? Had to be said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, no, I think it was a name that... They were just looking for names, and I think somebody suggested the name Marley. Yes. And they, that's sort of stuck. It okay. was between Marley and Nova, but they ended up going with Marley. Nova's good, because when you first told me that uh, your family were considering getting a cat, uh, and the names that were being considered were famous names of animals that weren't cats, right? Yes. Uh, like Cobra was a possibility? Yeah, Cobra. So it was like characters from Planet of the Apes and characters from the Jungle Book. That's yeah. where they were sort of looking to get their names. So like Bagheera and That's fair Caesar enough. and yeah. like all that kind of stuff. But now they've chosen a dog. <laughs> a dog's name instead of a, <laughs> a cat. Marley. I don't know. I Marley I associate with um, lugubriousness and uh, lethargy. Okay. Like Marley is like, it's a name that connotes inactivity to me. Well, she sleeps a lot. At the moment, yeah. She's a cat, yeah. of course. She's <laughs> a cat, a lot. yeah, exactly. Yeah, but going to sleep a lot. Cats are sedentary, yes. But mm. they're not as sedentary as most other pets. Mm. I'd, I'd say they're more sedentary than dogs. Dogs, Maybe are than dogs, yes. Rather not sedentary. No, but all dogs stay within... They're frantic within an enclosed environment, aren't they? Yeah. Whereas, oh, do Maine Coons, do they streetwalk? No, they're house cats. Oh God! <laughs> so she is. She is not going anywhere. Right, Sam. We're, okay. we're going to have a cat in a year. We're have a cat. <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. My no, mum okay. is is very taken with the cat. I don't think that okay. she'll want to see the cat go. Okay. So well, that's good. That's good. Don't worry. It's all fine. Okay. You, you never have to meet her if you don't okay. want to. I do like that in the space of a sentence, George. You have basically said that your mother is attached to the cat. That she's fine for you to go. <laughs> she does not want the cat going anywhere. Um, George, would you be upset? I'm, I'm, I'm spotlighting it on you in particular. Okay. Would you be upset if you killed that cat with your car? <laughs> yeah, I would. You I would? Was. Why? Oh, he's become attached already. <laughs> okay. Regardless of my relationship to the animal, it's my sister's cat. No, Okay. Okay, yeah, fine. So it, if I kill, like, it would it would greatly upset my sister okay, yes. and my family. Ignoring that, my, my, ignoring that. Point out, my uncle killed my family cat on purpose. So or? he ran it over by accident. Oh. Well, considering that you've never brought him up, Eddie, I assume that you've disowned him from the family. <laughs> no, no. Okay, He's yes. A bit of a weirdo. Sa- but, you know, sad for your family. Yes, of course. But would the death yes. of the cat in and of itself be a source of grief? Yeah, I think so. Oh. <laughs> well, you've already well, I mean, lost. At the moment, like, I should say, we've uh, she's been here less than a week, so her presence is still somewhat of a novelty. Festering. <laughs> well, I'm going with novelty okay. over festering. I mean, she's bit, so you're saying she's been there less than a week and somehow she's already made it onto the podcast. Well, it's new. I, I it didn't is, bring her up. It is a novelty. It's a novelty. Um, yes, it's a novelty. <laughs> but a, cat, a kitten is just a condescension waiting to happen. Well, there's a picture of the... Okay. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> okay. For the people listening... Are his eyes closed? What's... Yeah, it's sleeping there. Okay, okay. Yeah. It's not It's not being racist, doing like a Chinese no, 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 or something. No. That's what you were going for. I wasn't I wasn't going for that. I just couldn't see its okay. eyes. So I was like, what the hell is that cat? 
Um, <laughs> yeah, go on, Eddie. Describe the cat to the listeners. Uh, it's a thing. It's brownish. <laughs> uh, I guess Google Maine Coons, they all kind of look the same, don't they? Yeah, well, it's sort of... Um, yeah, it looks like a Maine Coon cat, but it's sort of black and orange. It's got, like, it's black fur with, like, orange kind of patches, like, draped over it. Because its its mother was an orange cat and its father was Vlad, his name is. Vlad. Vlad, because okay. he, he was imported from Russia. Okay, rather than trying to make it... Purposes. Vlad, Vlad the Imported. Yeah, Vlad the okay. Imported. Rather than trying to make it sound cool, yeah. everyone just go and Google Rory the Tiger and then take the colours from that instead. Well, the reason I brought it up in general was was because I wanted to see a picture. Okay. So that whenever you talk about it, I have something, a vision of hate. <laughs> something to, to bring focus to mind. your hatred yeah. on. Yeah. Okay, so I know what it... Okay, so it's called yeah. Marley. Yeah. And it looks like that. Okay. Yes. Okay. Well, I won't be coming around your house anymore then. From the, from <laughs> well, it, it. it's got its own playpen. So I guess we could lock it in there if you oh, want. Oh, okay, yeah, that's fine. You're, you're still going to find cat hairs on you, though. There's going to be that, yeah. Well, like I said, it hasn't been here a week yet, but it's we haven't had any problems in that regard yet. Mm. Um, it's disappeared behind a couple of bookcases, mm. but other than that, it's... Uh, what if they were to accidentally just fall? <laughs> um, fall behind the bookcase. Behind the bookcase. Uh, and then a, a large pile of books were to accidentally fall on the cat. Yes. Yes. Leather bound. Yes. Massive tomes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what? And then a foot to, to repeatedly, <laughs> accidentally yes. fall onto the cat multiple times. <laughs> what is the mobility of this kitten? Well, it moves, yeah. We got, a, we, got a, we got a scratching post that's about, I don't know, like three foot, something like that. It's reached the point now where it can just, like, jump straight to the top of it. Oh, uh, no, 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 see. No? See. Well, has it, has it been in your room yet? Oh, no. Okay. No, I have too many shelving units with stuff that can be pushed off for me to ever let it in my room. Okay, so it will never breach that territory. No, I mean at the moment we're we're sort of confining it to the front room and the kitchen. It's mm-hmm. not really allowed to go anywhere. It sleeps in my sister's room. Right. My sister's got like a, she sleeps in a normal bed, but she's got like a mattress underneath that you can pull out. So mm-hmm. there's sort of like two beds. The cat sleeps on the second mattress. Right. Okay. By choice, it chose to do that. It wasn't like go sleep on the mattress. Right. She just woke up one day. And it was sleeping on the mattress, and now that's where it sleeps. So it's already achieved trying to basically human status in your house. Yeah. <laughs> it's got a proper bed. It gets to sit in the living room in the kitchen and do fuck all all day. Well, do, yeah. you, do you have a closed door policy in your room, Jord? Pretty much, yeah. Okay, so it's not just going to wander in then? It shouldn't do, unless it learns how to open doors. It will. I mean, it's, it will. It will. We've got it like um, doorknobs that you have to turn, mm. so it might not get much grip but it'll certainly be big enough where it won't even have to like stand up it could probably just like grab the door handle right without even getting off all fours. are they like chrome or brass um uh, just like metal yeah metal okay so so something that requires skin to grip for yes for talk yes okay so the cat a cat wouldn't be able to it would just slide off i would hope not no okay then again like i, I said it, by the time it's fully grown it probably just push the door over but by the, yeah exactly by the time it's yeah. fully grown it, by brute force it'll just break the door down <laughs> yeah exactly it's, it's fine yeah. i can't wait for the day jordan goes out the house comes back there's just like a screwdriver next to the door all the things have been taken <laughs> off and the door's just on the floor and the cat's just like um no the cat's just laying on the bed like with its legs crossed it's stroking like a mouse it's like, oh. <laughs> so yeah. this is what you've been keeping from me that's when you uh, that's when you employ the screwdriver for the purposes of penetrating the cat's head. Oh right, okay. Not penetrating 
<laughs> I was worried you were just going to finish it penetrating the cat. No. Oh, dear. No. Well, oh, I suppose anywhere dear. would work, really. If you find the cat on your bed, now is the time that you penetrate the cat. It's a she or a he? She. She, okay. Okay. She. Okay. Yeah, I mean, at oh, the moment, dear. she's like, uh, she's sort of keeping her distance. I know that's something that's not going to last. Because that's the thing. I think Maine yeah. Coons live for about, like, 15, 18 years, maybe. She's seen the news. She's seen the news. Yeah, that's why she's distancing. Ah, right. Okay. Okay. For the um, for the thumbnail, can you Photoshop an image of a face mask onto your on cat and put it on the thumbnail? <laughs> yeah, that's got to be that now, isn't it? <laughs> I'll, I'll give it a go, Eddie. I'll certainly give it a go. Like, that's enough to make it the Halloween special. You don't need any other image. Just that. Yeah, just, <laughs> it's a cat of face horrifying mask. thing in the world. Anyway. Uh, okay. Do you have anything else, George? Any other news? I do have one other thing. Yeah. Um, there's been a bunch of articles popping up online regarding the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. I don't know if any either of you have seen this. No. Um, it's basically proclaiming that Sonic the Hedgehog has toppled Marvel's dominance of the film industry. Okay. Because the Sonic the Hedgehog movie is the first super it, superhero. <laughs> it's the first superhero movie. Right. In 10 years, at the top of the box office, that isn't a Marvel film. Therefore, Sonic the Hedgehog has toppled Marvel. No. No, of course it fucking hasn't. You've got it's to do like, some work to convince me that it's a superhero movie. Well, yeah, I know. Like, I think Sonic, if anything, it, I mean, I, I, I won't speak for the film, but I think the Sonic the Hedgehog games are very anime-influenced. Mm. Well, they are very anime-influenced. I think... Shogun anime is the genre that sort of inspired Sonic, like the same genre that gave us like Dragon Ball Z and stuff. Yeah. Um I think the film Yeah, I think it's kind of superhero-y. I mean like, kind Eggman of is, like and... Robotnik is the villain and Sonic has yeah, superpowers sure, and you've got sure. the human sidekick and all that. Yes. But it doesn't have that quality of a I don't mean by you like it's good. It doesn't have mm. the quality of a superhero film. Other than those tropes which you could say mad scientist, you know. Yeah. Uh, superpowered hero but if you're going to argue that I don't know it feels like the, the definition is too broad I mean you could say then I would say if anything has toppled the monopoly of Marvel in the superhero genre it's the Fast and the Furious movies right they're superhero films they just they're just in cars yeah but they are superhero films like no yeah genuinely over have the top seen, ridiculous you know have you seen any of the Fast and Furious Eddie the later ones where it became sort of what it is now you know I, st- I stopped at seven Oh, right. I liked eight. I mean, eight eight and three are the only ones I've seen properly, but I've seen bits and pieces of which one's Tokyo Drift. Is that the third one? That's three. Third one. That's three. That wasn't bad. Uh, I think that's universally considered to be the worst one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but no, no. But do you know why I like it? Because none of the main cast are in it other than Vin Diesel for about five minutes. Right. Okay. Um, So that's why it's good. Um, no, No, seven has the emotional. That's the one they they thought was going to win the Oscars and yes, yeah. everything. Because, Did the song win? I think so. Uh, yeah. I can't. I, yeah, probably. Did it? What yeah. year was it? Um, oh, 2015, I think. Oh, it was Spectre. Was it, it like, Did it? A song like wall. See You Again. No, I, know, I know Spectre came out, but yeah. I can't remember if it was 2015 that Fury uh, 7. I'll, I'll just look it up, boys. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've, I've got Google got set up on my iPad, so it's not on the laptop for once. Oh, right, okay. There's um, also, like, the Mission Impossible films. They're basically superhero films as well. Yeah, ba- you know? basically, yeah. I don't I, I know what they're getting at, but I think yeah. it's a bit disingenuous because if you're going to say he's a superhero, then you have to include all these other things as well. Mm. 
I remember Kevin Smith saying in an interview that the last original superhero he saw was Neo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was like, okay, yeah. yeah I, I remember th- that interview. I see, like, I see your point. It wasn't even up for an Oscar. Wasn't it? No. It was up for a Golden Globe. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, I thought it was up and, for the Oscar. And, and Grammy. It's, well, it's, it's funny because it is one of the most viewed YouTube videos of all time. Is yeah, it? and it's exactly the type of song that I think would get a nomination. Mm. Yeah, but no, apparently not. No. Right. Okay. Was it 2015? But yeah. Oh, I've, I've closed oh, no, it down. No, I'm doesn't, not even doesn't <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, so people think, people are heaping even more praise, um, unwarranted praise on the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Mm. And I just wanted to bring it up so that I could tell people, stop it. Yeah. This film doesn't deserve the praise that it's getting. I feel like that's not even... Even if it was praise with which you agreed, it's not praise that the film itself really deserves. No, exactly. That's the other yeah. thing. This film is like the luckiest film ever. Yeah, exactly. Basically. Because yeah. this film, when it came... When it was like first advertised, we had the the initial backlash to that first trailer mm. where everyone was saying this is going to be a fucking disaster. Yeah. Then the second trailer came out and everyone was like, oh, actually, it looks a lot better now, and it seems funnier, and maybe it'll be good. And then, obviously, the film came out, and it got... I think, broadly speaking, the reaction was slightly above average. Like, mediocre, yeah. Yeah, that's sort of what most people were like, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah. Like, the the Marker Mode review is six minutes long, and four minutes, they're not even talking about the Sonic movie. No. His review is basically, in the last two minutes, he's like, yeah, it's fine. I've given up on Kermode Mode as a sidebar. Oh, have you? Uh, He's too political. He's become too right. political. I understand okay. why he probably feels he has to in the era of mm. Donald Trump, but it's Devereux now. His Twitter is just political. Uh, his reviews are increasingly political. Right. And f- when we talk about the trial of the Chicago 7, I think you're going to find not much of that with us. It's like, it is possible to talk about films without talking about their political implications necessarily. Right. You, you know okay. what I mean? Uh, you don't, not everything has to be... If it's a film about women, it's like, oh, in the age of Donald Trump, it's good to have a film about women. Yeah. Um, oh, and a film about some, you know, braggadocio or whatever. Oh, a film about a braggadocio now. Uh, I don't think I can take it in the era of Trump. It's like just politics is an entertainment. They're, se- yes. they're separate entities. Yeah, they should be yeah. separate entities. Anyway, yeah. carry on. Yes. So, yeah, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't deserve the praise. No. Like, if it had come out, if the film had come out when it was supposed to in 2019, it would have been up against Avengers Endgame. Yeah. The highest grossing film ever. Yeah. So it wouldn't have toppled Marvel's dominance. The only reason it's toppled Marvel's dominant dominance. 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 No, dominance. I'm I'm, I'm oh, yeah. emphasizing yeah. my mistake. Oh, I see. Okay. Sorry. I thought you were doubling down on it. <laughs> because of how annoyed I am by them <laughs> and how annoyed this film makes me. <laughs> but the only reason it toppled Marvel's dominance mm. is because there hasn't been a Marvel film this year. Are they saying it toppled Marvel's dominance in the sense that it took money that would have gone? No, no. It, to Marvel, in the sense or? that every superhero film for the past ten years that has been the highest-grossing superhero film of the year has been a Marvel movie, mm. and this is the first year where that is not the case. That's because Marvel's film hasn't come out. Exactly. That's what I just said. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's <laughs> and like, had the film come out, had Sonic come out when it was supposed to, it would have been competing with Avengers: Endgame, and it would not have made money. And also, yeah, and I mean, had Black Widow come out, it'd have been competing against Black Widow. Black Widow. And yeah. also, the year's not even fucking over yet. And also, Aquaman. Aquaman. What about Aquaman? Like uh, that is 
a blatantly superhero film that did really well at the box office. I don't think you can claim that it. To- no, no, yeah, yeah, no, the, yeah. The thing is that it's it was at the top. I don't know if, if oh, right. Aquaman was at the top in its respective year. Uh, there might have been like one or two years in the last ten years where, like DC, maybe pipped the post when it, they were slightly above Marvel. No. But this is the point. They're like, oh, this is the first superhero movie outside of like Marvel okay. and that sphere that is at the top of the box office. But it's not. And also, yeah, the year is not over yet. Wonder Woman's still coming out this year, right? Yeah. That's probably going to do thought, really I well. I that had been delayed. I think it is, isn't it? Or was it was No, that it's coming out around Christmas, Christmas time, I think. Andy. Okay. It's either the 23rd or the 26th of December. I mean, I think you can only say it toppled the Monopoly if, yeah, they were both out and one was clearly taking money from the other one. Yes. You know, the, a Marvel film, which usually would have grossed over a billion, is grossing 600 million. It's like, why? Well, people are going to see Sonic instead. That would be yeah. fair enough. Like, Birds of Prey and Sonic came out the same weekend, I think. Okay. And there was that, like, there was that hoopla about people were, like, accusing the Sonic movie of being misogynist and, like, racist so that they would go see Birds of Prey instead. Right. Because, and they and it ended up that, like, Sonic ended up taking a lot more money than Birds of Prey. So in that instance, they were like, oh, Sonic has, like, mm. Sonic is, you know, he's made his, he's on the scene now. He's, like, you know, competing with the big boys. He's taking down Birds of, Like, right. that's fine, because they came out in the same period. Yeah. They were directly competing. T- to like be said, fair, there's Sonic no took competition. 100 million pounds more at the box office than Birds of Prey. <laughs> no, exactly. It, it beat Birds of Prey. So in that mm. instance, I can understand it. But, but I think that's there to is be no competition anyway, right? Yeah, but that was to be expected anyway, right? Because, I mean, you've got the star power of Margot Robbie and the general mm. idea that it's a superhero film, but nobody knows what Birds of Prey is, for a start. No. And everyone yeah. knows what Sonic the Hedgehog is. So but it's got that were, brand but power. But women as well. Oh, it's a women-led... Yeah. They might have... I don't know if it, they did the whole, oh, it's the first female, all-female superhero movie. They probably did, probably. if it was correct. But, I mean, yeah, you can't even say... you Like, toppling the Monopoly is one thing. You can't even claim they're sharing the wealth because, you know, it's like, oh, clearly, you can't say that a Marvel film was out, right? And even if Sonic didn't topple it, it was doing well at the box office. Like, hey, mm. it's not Marvel, but people are uh, also going to see Sonic. You can't even claim they're sharing the wealth. You can't claim anything of this sort. No. It's, yes, yeah, it's, t- it's a totally disingenuous argument. I'm imagining the people saying that are Sonic fans, are they? I don't know if it's just Sonic fans. I think it might just be movie people. Okay. Like, because they've got nothing to write about, so they've just jumped to, oh, look, uh, Sonic has earned the most money this year, and there's no, Marvel hasn't, so th- there's a story here. <laughs> there isn't a story here. No. Sonic is not, it's not a good film. No. Stop inventing reasons to like it. It is interesting how much there seems to be a push to make people like it, but, like, not from the studio, even. Like, from No, p- and that's why this is, the, like, the luckiest fucking movie ever. Yeah. Because there are there are all of these like factors mm. that have nothing to do with the film and its production, but they they're only beneficial to the film. I think it's the goodwill that was generated, not just from changing it up, but the fact that most people expected it to be a laughable turkey of a film, and it turned yeah. out to be just a mediocre film. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's like oh good, it exceeded my expectations, and I guess it has a good heart. You know, it's not like a cynical film or anything like that. Yeah. I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. Beers thing. Yeah. Had, had, had there been none of that context before we saw the film, right? None of that about uh, them re, uh, you know, reanimating uh, him or uh, the fact that everyone thought it was going to be so terrible, and we had just watched it cold. I would have come on the podcast and given it a bad review, mm. but because all that stuff was there, and because I, I guess how much you hated it. Like I've said before, we had to kind of go, well, it's just an okay film. 
But usually, yeah. okay films are the films that we slander on this podcast. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, we don't like okay films. We like no. good films. George, out of curiosity, do you own the Sonic film on DVD? No, and don't buy it for me. I know <laughs> That's Christmas like. coming up, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I, I was just, I've got I know 10 you copies like. sitting in don't my basket for you right now, George. How annoyed will you be if we do buy My father a has Blu-ray. an incinerator at the bottom of the garden. I will burn it if you buy it for me. I'll buy multiple copies. I will burn them all. <laughs> can you do it, put it on a video, put it on the podcast so we can yes. put it up online? <laughs> yes, okay. What, what, what if I got you a, a Blu-ray, right? Yeah. And got it signed by some Sonic, famous Sonic game people. <laughs> then what would you do? I would I would still burn it. You'd burn it if it got autographed Yeah, and I would by, send you know. them copies of the video and I would go, I hope you know that this is like what... That you were like pawns in a game here, right? Well, yeah, yeah, Sam, you, you, Sam, you might want to cancel that Christmas like... present you told me about last night. <laughs> who voices Sonic? Uh, the current voice actor in the games is Roger Craig Smith. Do you like Roger Craig Smith? Um, he's all right. He did the voice of Ezio in the Assassin's yeah, Creed okay. games. Who's your and Sonic? That's sort guy? of all I know about him. Okay. Oh, also, he does the voiceover for Say Yes to the Dress Atlanta. I don't know what that is. Well, it's it's a it's a show. Do you know say to do you know say yes to the dress? No, of course I don't. Oh, it George. seems like the kind of garbage TV you would know. Oh, is it like a bridal show? Yeah, I know some garbage, not all garbage. George. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen it. Um, You're definitely getting Sonic for Christmas now. <laughs> it's well, it's a show where uh, women are just like they've got to pick a dress. Is it? <laughs> yeah, they they, they okay. film they go into a wedding shop. Yeah, and okay. they're like, oh, I'm getting married, and they're like, oh, congratulations. Do you want a dress? Yeah, all right. Yeah, so they okay. try on a bunch of dresses. The family are really like bitchy and critical yeah the what the bride cries <laughs> the people who own the shop step in and are like the bride gets to choose what she wants the family give in and then yeah. she buys a dress right that's that is the show okay and he does the voice for that the atlanta version of that. he does the voice for the atlanta version but this what <laughs> this is what's so strange about say yes to the dress because my, my my uh sister and mother watch it that's how i know about it mm. um sure so you've got like say yes to the dress it's their cat as um, well isn't it <laughs> The cat watches it as well. No, it's their cat as well, isn't it? Oh, it's their yeah. cat. Right? Yeah, just like, like it's oh, not the your favourite TV well. show at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you've got like Say Yes to the Dress USA, I think. Say Yes to the Dress UK. Like things like that you understand. But then you've got like Say Yes to the Dress Atlanta. Mm. And then there's Say Yes to the Dress Lancashire. Lancashire? There's some really fucking specific like yeah. variations of this. Weirdly enough, the Lancashire version has Gok Wan on it. Okay. He's like head that's, the head that, of the bridal that shop. That seem weird to me at all. It's Got his shop. being on that kind of show sounds exactly right. Well, well it's, the, he, it's like, the daytime television, isn't it? Yeah, basically, yeah. Okay, I thought he was a bit more prime time than that. I don't know, yeah. Uh, I don't know what's going on there. Okay. Is he from Lancashire? I don't know. I don't know. know. Uh, it's from space, well, Do you know whereabouts in Lancashire it's, it's set? I'm curious. Uh, in a bridal shop. That's all <laughs> I could tell you. I mean, America, the regions are so distinct from each other. That it basically is different. You know, they are different countries, aren't they? Yeah. So say yes to the rest Atlanta. Say yes to the rest New York. Fine, like completely different experiences. Yes. I'm not sure the UK offers as rich. No. A, a variation on that. And I'm sure if it does, Lancashire is not the place you go to get it. No. Like, would if it was in Hull, would it be fundamentally different? Me? No, it wouldn't. Like, I mean, say yes to the dress London versus say yes to the dress Manchester, maybe a little bit. Sure, this is in, thinking about it, this is really interesting, right? Because in America, 
you can there are there is obviously something there is class you know economic mm. class but you divide areas by you know uh, it's climate and it's topography you know things like that yeah yeah and it's traditions and it's accents and that sort of thing we obviously have different accents but what i think of the uk what could you do to make them the most different it wouldn't be regional it would be um class so so it'd be like areas very very specific areas it's so like you say yes to the dress oxford and then say yes oh yeah maybe do you know what i mean so it's like yeah yeah or even just areas of london like notting hill or something <laughs> say yes to the dress kent versus say yes to yeah, the dress yeah like say yes to the Guernsey, dress I don't know. notting hill and say yes to the dress camden would be very different shows but they <laughs> but they're quite near each other even you know yeah yeah uh, is that the big divider uh, in the UK? Class. Class, yes. It is? Yeah, okay. I think so, yeah. Uh, Gokwan is not from Lancashire. Where's, okay. where's Why Gokwan is he on from? Say Yes to the Dress Lancashire then? Because he's Plain that guy. Me. He is that guy. He's the guy that does that kind of shit. It's a job, I suppose. Uh, he's from Leicestershire. And the also, traitor! I was, looking, I, was, I, I was looking up the that location to see whether I'd ever been there. That between Lancashire and Leicestershire that he is broken. He's from a different shire even. No, that's not acceptable. <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah, the point was who is your Sonic then, George? Oh God. Um, what are what what are we going with here? What's the well? David Tennant is your doctor. Oh, I suppose Matt Smith is really, isn't he? Matt Smith is my doctor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, David Tennant's mine. Uh, yeah, that question, but for Sonic. Okay, because like I guess technically John Pertwee was my first doctor. Okay, yeah. but like Matt Smith is my favorite doctor. Yeah. Um. Oh God. If you could preferably choose a Sonic actor that's alive so that we can tweet him. Yes, that's my point. <laughs> well, they're all alive. If I got him to autograph the C- the DVD, would you still get rid of it? Yeah. I don't I don't believe that. <laughs> I, I, that they're all alive. One of one of the um one of the uh voice actors for Eggman is dead, but all of the Sonic voice actors are still alive. So okay. we get all of them to sign it. <laughs> that's what we well, do. Do you want, we, do you we, want their we, names? We, I can I we, can give you their names if you want. Oh, I I mean I can Google that shit. But Okay. We tweet. We tweet all of the Sonic actors. We get them all to sign it. Would you? Would you still incinerate? Yes. I don't think your hatred of the film transcends what value that would have. Because <laughs> wouldn't you just conceptualize it as well? It's it's just an object that's been signed. But it if it would feel like a betrayal almost to have them <laughs> to have their names on that film. Would know? it be a betrayal if they had consented to sign it? So they're, sl- they're not like, you know... I would want... They're not being Uncle Tom's. <laughs> they're just... You know, like, you know, like when you get, like, diamonds and they're supposed to come with all this, like, paperwork mm. that says, oh, they were mined humanely, like, no one was killed yeah, to like get these diamonds. Certification this, you know. of, like, verification and all that. Yeah. yeah. I think I'd need that. I, w- <laughs> I would need, like, documented proof that they weren't coerced into what about, signing the Sonic movie. What if I felt got them to do a little video explaining that to you? I suppose that would be acceptable. I yeah. did not do this under duress. I, well, okay, what if they said, I did not do this under... If I gave him this statement, I confirm I did not sign that DVD out of duress. In fact, I like the film. What would you do then? I would rather <laughs> you not have given them a prepared statement, <laughs> Okay, yeah. George, George, out of curiosity, have any of them, like, denounced the film and said, don't go and see it? I don't think the voice actors have. I know that Yuji Naka, which is, like, the one of the original creators of Sonic... He pretty much denounced it, but I think that was to do more with the redesign. Sorry, with the original design. Right. I don't know what his opinions were in the lead up to the film. So, so, so what you're saying is the only person who might have denounced it 
hasn't really denounced it anymore except you. No, I'm, sure, I'm you. sure there are people out there who... That's but the it, it, I, but I it's toppled Marvel. It's the biggest superhero film to topple Marvel. Yeah, but I haven't but found anyone yet. <laughs> who's like he wouldn't be an apostate, gays. would he? Sorry? If anyone, any, any of the people in question did do that, they'd be apostates, wouldn't they? I don't think you can work for the Sonic brand and come out and say the film is a bag of shite. Yeah. It's probably contractually obliged to not give oh, an I'm opinion. Sure. I'm sure, yeah. In fact, I know they are, because actors say that all the time. Like, when yeah. they do press <laughs> for films, they can't slag a film off, and then a few years later they go, yeah, it was it was shit. <laughs> like, I, I yeah. can admit that now. Um, that's mad, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. But I don't know how people can take, like, uh, press junkets seriously. Like, you, you're not gonna, they're not going to give you their honest opinion. I mean, if they do, it's by accident. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, if you're going to see Parasite, and all the actors saying, this is a masterpiece. It's like, okay, they actually probably do believe that and they're correct. Mm. But I think it's going to be incredibly rare. <laughs> yeah. The amount of things I've seen of like esteemed good actors on Graham Norton selling this shit film <laughs> uh, as if it's the best thing in the world. You can see it behind well, the there's eyes. That, there's that, that clip of, um, in, in the run-up to Ghostbusters 2016, there's that clip of Bill Murray saying, the reason that we handed the film over to Melissa McCarthy and her, her people is because we thought they were funny. And right. we thought they were the best person for the job. <laughs> we thought they I'm were, not saying he disagrees with that, but yeah. like that's always used as like an example of this is fucking bullshit. Yeah. Like this this is this is clearly like lying to people. Yeah, yeah. It's when you it's when you see the actors talking about how it's the best performance they've ever done. Mm. And then they win a Razzie and you're like <laughs> are, you, are you sure? Yeah. But I think a lot of that sometimes sometimes that's genuine, right? Because I th- Ricky Gervais clearly thinks afterlife is the best thing he's ever done okay yes like i don't think that's like because you know rick gervais i don't think he would say i mean his whole shtick is that he doesn't care and he exactly. just says what he thinks exactly yeah. so he honestly clearly does think that and i think because it gets yeah. such a warm response on twitter and think like a lot of people say oh man it really helped me understand loss mm. i don't know if you've ever seen it it's a really not good show I haven't seen it, but I think it was on your um, disrecommendation yeah. that I haven't seen Afterlife. It's just really bland, and basically, Ricky Gervais walks into a room. He so obviously he's writing it. Someone will like cite a belief in astrology, and then he will take them down, just as Ricky Gervais. I like, see. But you've written that, like you can't. So it's sort of sort of Family Guy ish, where like he's yeah. just written himself into the show, and he's slagging off people he doesn't like yeah it's smug it's it does yeah. have an air of smugness about it um but he thinks I, I don't mind the first season the second season is more bland more bland it's got a massive cast of people he obviously just likes mm. yeah which again i kind of admire that he's just doing whatever the hell he wants to but i saw him get asked like because they're doing a third series considering that you always went by the faulty towers thing of two good series a special and i'm out uh, how come you're doing a third series? That well, it's the richest world I've created, you know. And I think part of that's got to be it, it's it's his baby. It's just him doing it. Oh, I'm sure it is. And yeah. so I, I think. I, some- I mean, it's certainly the richest thing because he's making fucking shit tons of money out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think he meant it more, <laughs> more. You know the. Uh, the quality yeah, of the world but, and all that. I'm but. pretty certain for the third series, he's being paid like 10 mil to make it. Oh, yeah. Netflix. Yeah, probably. Um, but, you know, so I do think sometimes we'll go on shows and like, this is the best performance I've ever given uh, and believe it because it was like all about them or something. You know what I mean? Uh, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think there is that sometimes. Um, well, I'll tell you what, unless George's got anything else to bring up, yeah. we'll carry on talking about bad actors. Go on. And talk about Hubie Halloween and Adam Sandler 
and the atrocity that is this Halloween film. Ah, is Adam Sandler a bad actor, though? These days, yes. Or does he just not care most of the time? Uh, I suppose. You say you say these days, Eddie, Uncut Gems is still, like, recent memory. Yeah. Right? Yeah, but he didn't make that. No, no, but he's he, a bad, he's a but bad no, filmmaker. He's acted, a bad filmmaker, yeah. yes, absolutely. Yes, he's a bad filmmaker. Yes. Okay, we'll go with bad filmmaker. Okay, then. He's okay. A bad okay. Filmmaker. okay. Um, so, yeah, it's... I mean, it, I... What can I say? It's an Adam Sandler film. Um, that might just be enough, honestly. Um, yeah, Kevin James is in it. Okay. Uh, Maya Rudolph's in it. Is Kevin James? Uh, is he still doing the, the the Becky thing? Is he still like a, a neo-Nazi, or has he gone back to? No, no, no. He, he's got hair now. Um, he's still got the beard. He's got a massive beard, um, but he plays a police officer that looks like a twat. Um, Keenan Thompson's <laughs> in it. Uh, Steve Buscemi. Uh, Rob Schneider, of course, the usual the usual suspects. Have we minus figured David out? Spade. Have we figured out what Adam Sandler has over Steve Buscemi yet? I think Steve Buscemi must just like him, genuinely. I think okay, because Steve Buscemi. We're talking is... about the same Adam Sandler, right? Well, we don't know what he's like, do we? I mean, no, we don't know what he's like, but we've we've got more than enough material, yeah. to base an opinion on. You know, uh, well, if if you watch the, I don't know if we've talked about it before, but. I would say the best thing Red Letter Media ever did, which was their Jack and Jill review. Oh, yeah. Which is, like, more than a review. It's, like, a, a dissection of his motive. Yeah. Or at least what they assume to be his motive. Basically, that they list all the things that they were expected to see in an Adam Sandler film. And Eddie briefly talked to me about it earlier, and it seems like a lot of those are being ticked off. So there's sports mm. people cameos, right? Yeah, Shaquille O'Neal yeah. uh, plays a radio DJ. There's SNL cameo. A lot of SNL people are in it. Tim Meadows and all that. Um, yeah. I asked if there was any product placement, and you said not that you really noticed. But that doesn't mean much because he works as in like a delicatessen, so there probably okay. were shit tons. I just wasn't paying right, attention. Just stuff around. And Steve Buscemi, he's clearly a he's a workman actor, isn't he? A kind of a journeyman actor in that he, I think he he does it for the job of it. I think he obviously enjoys it. But hmm. I get the sense he, he just, it's work. And sometimes he's passionate about things. Like, I think he was about The Sopranos. And I get, I think he was obviously about Boardwalk Empire. And he's directed a, a film or two. But I think uh, most of the time he's just like doing films that pay. And I think Adam Sandler, if you subscribe to Red Letter Media's interpretation of him, probably it pays a lot to be in an Adam Sandler film. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, uh, you know, my opinion of Buscemi does not go well, down well I, I i did say to sam beforehand he is probably the best thing in the film yes okay uh, so he plays a man who escaped from a sane asylum <laughs> right who legit who legitimately thinks that he is a werewolf oh my god is he like is he reprised his character from con air garland green yeah <laughs> yeah um and because there is there is a bit where because but uh rob schneider is the other one uh from the, the insane asylum and there is a moment where Steve Buscemi they're like sat in the police station having given themselves in and Steve Buscemi does he just licks Rob Schneider's hand and just th- clearly <laughs> thinks he's a well and it is it's my it's the bit that really like just made me laugh because I was like this is just the most ridiculous thing but Steve Buscemi thinking he's a well just casually licking someone's hand does Rob Schneider <laughs> think he's anything uh, well, it, the, the, so he <laughs> doesn't think he's a werewolf. Of itself, no, I was going to say, yeah, out of context, that's a great question to ask. Does Rob Schneider think, think he's, he's anything? anything? Um, but he's Do you think he's a, from, thinks he's accomplished anything? Uh, but he's, yeah, he's also come from the asylum and is of the, you know, he's of the opinion. He agrees with the fact that they, they call it the 
the like full moon or werewolf asylum or something like that right so like they obviously all think they're fucking insane um but i mean that they could that's such an easy thing of like a double act if Buscemi thinks he's a werewolf and you have Schneider thinking he's a vampire or something like yeah you yeah. get a lot of laughs out of that you know what i mean like yeah. that's, i i'm just a bit offended on Buscemi's behalf because i think they've done that as a joke about his teeth oh uh, you know what yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe i can see that being the case yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, uh, Hubie Halloween. Um, it's a film in which Adam Star, Adam Starmer, <laughs> Adam uh, Star, yeah. um, Adam Sadler plays uh, a guy called Hubie Dubois, uh, who, um, not yeah, Hubie Dubois. It should have um, been Hoobie Doobie. It should have been. He's referred to as Hoobie, Hoobie Doobie, Doobie, and he's also yeah. referred to as Pubie for a lot of the film. Of course, he is. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, on he it's set in the the uh, town of Salem, right. and on Halloween he plays a he basically is a volunteer Halloween monitor for the city. Meaning, okay. like <laughs> much like a hall, mo- he literally walks around with a sash that says monitor. Um, well, like ma- making sure that like no zombies rise from the graves. Like what what sort of Halloween monitor? Uh, as in making sure kids don't take like more than one candy from a bowl. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's a one man job, level. is it? Uh, well, in steps, Massachusetts yeah um, okay and then people start getting kidnapped um, turns out to be from his mother spoiler alert for anyone that actually wanted to watch it uh, it turns out that his mother is kidnapping all the people that have bullied him over the years right because um, he is the butt of basically all the jokes um, he has a, a speech thing um, <laughs> so he doesn't talk proper he has a speech it, impediment what kind of impediment yeah. is it I, I can't impersonate it. Well, you're going to have to. Um, so I'm going to tell anyone, if they want to know what I'm talking about, go and watch the trailer. Can you explain um, what kind of impediment it is? It just doesn't talk. Like, there's just... It's like he's tried to put on an accent and thrown a speech impediment into it. Okay. Um, but like, what, I'm really offending. Can't pronounce his S's, his R's. You've got to give us something, Eddie. Uh, Come on. I, I don't, is he doing honestly, that Adam Sandler thing? Is he doing that kind of voice? Uh, but But... He, he's gone for more of a speech impediment on that. That being, I can't, I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm not doing it. it. What does he do? <laughs> I'm not doing it. I'm so interested. I'm so curious. I might have to watch the film now. <laughs> Hoover Hero. I, is it ours? Is it a Jonathan Ross thing? Can he not pronounce his ours? Kind of. Yeah. Your T's. But it, it's not just his ours. Um, well, is it is A's, is B's, is C? Does he not pronounce any word at all? Is he mute? Is that the impediment? Does he just, like, when people speak to him, does he just stare at them? If he was mute, it would be a much better film. Um, okay. I can't remember what I was saying. It, it's Eddie, why did you watch this film? Because it's Halloween and I knew it was going to be terrible. Okay. And was it as terrible as you were hoping? Uh, I really, 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 really wish I hadn't watched it. Okay. Um, but I it's don't, terrible, I don't recommend I it to anyone say, other than go and watch the trailer and that will probably be enough. Well, I, I assume when you say you thought it was going to be terrible, you thought it was going to be entertainingly terrible. Because this is not a film that we were ever planning to do on the podcast. You did this of your own accord. I was yeah. considering watching this um, for the purposes of podcast. Uh, I just I had too much on my plate. Right. But it was something that I was genuinely like, oh, it's something we could you know watch a terrible Halloween film and talk about it. Mm. But it doesn't even seem to be the Halloween is just a set decoration, really, isn't it, Eddie? It's not. Um, well, yeah, it's it's all set around Halloween, but the story is more about like the fact that he's this monitor, and there's people that like he's the butt of the jokes very early on, mm. and then in the end, as I say, it's revealed that it's his mother, 
Um, I thought it was going to be like a Pixels, but Halloween themed, but it's not that. No. No. So yeah, no, don't recommend it. Um, okay. If, if you want to know what that speech impediment is, go and watch the trailer. Not going to give us uh, anything? No no flavor? No. no taste? No. Why? No, no, no. Why are you so unwilling? Because <laughs> it's, it's not that you can't do it, it's that you're unwilling to do it. Because you're not even describing it to us. So what is... Genuinely, Eddie, what does he do? Do you know what? I'm just going to find a clip. <laughs> no, Eddie, that's... That, I'm asking you. Yeah, I, are, you, are you worried of offending somebody? Is that what it is? I'm point blank telling you <laughs> what I would do would be offensive, right. so I'm not going to do it. Okay, is he doing like a... Like a... Like that... Um, faux Chinese, like... Is he doing stuff like that? Are people in the... I mean, is this a speech impediment that people have? I, I'm guessing so. Okay. Because he's obviously making fun of it, isn't he? Yeah, but he's a prick at times. That's why. <laughs> okay. Well, I, th- I just want to let the audience know I would have done it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 Sam, I don't doubt that. I'm just telling you I'm point blank refusing to do that on but the podcast. You, but you, you will not even describe it to us. I'm just saying he's got a speech impediment. <laughs> What is it, though? <laughs> Go look it up. It's like me saying, oh, he mocks a certain type of person. And you're saying, oh, who? And I say, okay, he, he mocks Down Syndrome people. Like, beyond, you're not even like this. I'm not asking you to do an impression of someone. I don't know how does. to describe it oh, to you okay. well enough. Okay. All right. Okay. So it's like a unique, idiosyncratic it, it, thing. It's something I think he's either seen or heard somewhere and gone, I'll do this voice for the film. That, I swear to funny. God, Eddie, if I look up the trailer and he's just got like a lisp, I'm going to be really fucking annoyed with you. <laughs> no, okay. You've um, watched the trailer, Jordan, haven't you? Yeah, okay. Is this all ploy? Are you on the Adam Sandler payroll to get us to go watch the fucking movie? Nah. <laughs> no. Because <laughs> I tell you what, it's, it's fucking working. Like yeah, oh yeah, yeah um, he does he does a list he does a uh, he has a speech impediment in this in this film. What kind of speech impediment? Hmm? <laughs> what kind of speech impediment? Ah, <laughs> oh, you know, just a, a speech impediment. Yeah, but what type though? What um, type though? It's because you know. it's a film, George. It's because you know we have a morbid curiosity, and it's because you know that um, we like to flirt with political incorrectness. And so yes. it's like, you'll know, this is the best way of making us go see the films. Like, oh, there's something in it that's bl- just like blatantly offensive. But I'm not going to tell you what it is. Well, I've got to go see what that is. <laughs> okay. Um. If he is not in blackface doing like the African <laughs> clicking tongue thing, Eddie, I'm going to be so disappointed in you. Because that's where I'm at in terms of like, it has to be at least this good for me to oh, accept. It's, it's not. It's not. Does, does Steve Buscemi ever do an impression of a wolf? A werewolf? Uh, he howls. Is that yes. in the trailer? I don't know if that's in the trailer. Because I might have to watch it if that's not in the trailer. <laughs> I, I, honestly, <laughs> just, just watch Buscemi's bits. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And um, did you have anything yeah. more to say about Who Be Halloween? Uh, uh, no. No. Okay. Um, uh, what's next then? Uh, I believe uh, Borat. Yeah. Borat. The okay. subsequent right. movie film. Who wants to kick that one off? I think Jordan does. Oh, do yeah, I? I you, I you, you, know, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't happen to be like testing whether I watched it or not, would you, Sam? <laughs> not, not at all. No, not at all. Well, I have watched it. Yeah. Oh no, I ex- so I, fuck you. I expected you to have watched Borat because it's a name. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> I expect that of you. Jordan. I mean, the, the difference, George, is I'm imagining, uh, and I'm pretty certain I'm correct on this. 
that both me and Sam watch, have watched the original Borat in the space of this year. Well, that's the thing. The, the plan was never to watch the original Borat. It was to yeah. watch Borat 2 and discuss it for the podcast. But having now watched Borat 2 very recently as well, I watched it like last night. Mm. I wish I had enough time left to have watched the original Borat as well. Because I really would have loved to have like gone back to the original and seen, firstly, whether it's all nostalgia... Like, does the film actually hold up? Is it actually funny? Do I actually still like it the way that I liked it before? And also to see how it sort of handles its itself, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, how does it do the whole, the integration of, like, hidden camera stuff and scripted material? How, like, well-made is it? How balanced is it in, like, the people that it goes after? Because, like, watching Borat 2, I just wasn't really... I just couldn't meet it on a, on a level, you know. Right. I wasn't really taken by Borat two at all. I didn't. I think once or twice I laughed, but mm. for the most part, I found it quite unfunny. And I felt it like I'd say like, oh, this is a product of age. But I'm only like 25. I guess I'm still kind of in the in the demographic of Borat. Um, um I I don't think so. No. Uh, well, it depends on again. I suppose the level at which you are meeting it. Borat is perfect for. 14 year old boys yeah who are the demographic that legally are not allowed to watch it yeah the 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 yeah. ones who are just getting into frankie boyle and jimmy carr and like rude jokes for the sake of rude jokes or dark yeah. humor for the sake of dark humor because um, yeah that's that's one of the reasons i would have loved to have seen the original because i would have loved to see is this still funny or is this do, do i just see this as like infantile and i guess cruel there's like moments i don't know we'll talk about it like i don't know how much genuine hidden camera stuff there is in this film Mm. a lot of it just felt fake yeah a lot of the moments where it felt like oh this is clearly supposed to be a hidden camera moment felt staged and just like didn't make sense to me on a on a on a technical level yeah um but the moments where i thought like oh this sort of i could believe this is a hidden camera moment it just felt cruel right yeah the way he was treating people like uh, what was the um the scene where he goes to like the pastor Mm. And his daughter has swallowed, like, a plastic baby. Yeah. But they frame it as... Um, they don't tell him it's a plastic baby. They just say it's a baby. Obviously, to trick him into thinking that they want an abortion. Yeah. As opposed to, we want you to get this plastic baby out of my uh, daughter's stomach. Yeah. Um, yeah, that just felt cruel. It's it's a cheap shot, isn't it, is what it is. It's... Yeah. Well, so the original Borat, uh, I, I saw, I guess, around the time it came out. So I would have been about 13. Mm. Yeah. Uh, perfect. I wa- I did like Frankie Boyle. You know, I liked that sort of humor. And at the time, it just felt like, oh man, this is breaking all the boundaries. You know, it's. Yes. And I rewatched it this year and I still liked it. it. It does have that infantile dimension to it. Yeah. Which is not inherently a bad thing. No. Um, but there are things about the original Borat that I really like. I mean, obviously, Sasha Baron Cohen is Jewish. And so the anti Semitism is, he's trying to, like, you know. Um, shine a light on anti-Semitism. Yeah. Yes. I really like the stuff in the first film where he's in the the old Jewish couple's house, you know, and thinks they've turned into cockroaches. And, <laughs> and when he's talking to that uh, Texan and the guy's like, you might want to shave your mustache because you, you look Muslim. Right. Um, he's like, you know, around here, we don't really like that. And Borat is sometimes at its best when he shuts up yeah. and lets other people talk. There's less of that in this film. But yeah, I feel yeah. like some of the targets were so soft and... In the first film, there was some lip service paid to taking shots at both sides. You know, there's the the racism stuff in the South, and then 
like he goes to that um the feminist women's meeting you know and kind of yeah again it's not to ridicule them it's to ridicule the idea of someone who would ridicule them but still there was that in there and there was none of that in this it was all anti-right-wing anti-republican there was nobody in this film that is ridiculed that wasn't already the target of ridicule yes and you're right like the people it feels like he's trying to make certain people look bad Mm. and they they just it just proves how decent they are a lot of the time yeah like nobody nobody seems to be biting no like, like there doesn't seem to be any of like that that example i gave of the like the pastor who's doing who you know who's in that medical clinic whatever yeah. the setup there is yeah yeah um and they're like pretending that they're asking for an abortion he handles that situation really fucking well yeah, it's not a fire and brimstone, you're going to hell or anything like that. No, it's no, there's just... none of that. Like, like as far as he's concerned, like, when Borat's going, I put a baby in my daughter, naughty me. Like, as far as the pastor is concerned, this guy has just basically confessed to incest. Yes. And his response to that is, it doesn't matter how we got here, the point is, this is where we're here now. Yeah. That's, like, yeah. really, he's really nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's really, like, understanding. And he's yeah. not saying, you know, um, again, there's no invective. It's all just listen we don't do abortions here you've got your wires crossed clearly yeah but like trying to like counsel them you know and there's where he goes the best character in the film by far is the old jewish woman in the synagogue oh yeah hands down the most loveliest you know what a lad yeah like goes there basically you know the 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 stick being that uh, he's incredibly anti-semitic disguised yes. as a Jew with a massive nose and all that yeah. and she's and just like holding like, like a money bag and he's got like a claws well. yeah, yeah yeah and she's just like um, I want to hug you <laughs> yeah. yeah come over here sit down with us um, you're going to be fine he's like oh maybe the poison will like set in later or whatever she's like oh don't be ridiculous you're going to be fine look look at me look at her nose look at my nose it's, it's normal we're normal people yeah and like it's really just like as far as she's concerned meeting a genuine anti-Semite and is just trying to be nice to him. Yeah. And that's her That's her argument, is look, we're, we're human beings. And then he says, I'm hungry. And it cuts to them having given him food. Yeah. Like they're just sitting eating <laughs> yeah, a meal exactly. together. And it's... Yeah. I, get, I mean, to be fair, that is not against the film. I, that's making a point for the film, isn't it? Is, that's, okay, that's yeah. the thing, though. Like, that is... That leads to, like a like, a plot beat in the film. Yes. And that's what I mean about, like, not knowing, like, like not remembering how the first film dealt with, like, its scripted content versus its unscripted content. Mm. Like, th- there are a lot of moments in this film where there are, like, plot beats yeah. and almost, like, returning characters. Like, the guy that he, um, the guy who sends the faxes back to Kazakhstan. Mm-hmm. Like, he had to have been in on it, right? There's no way that, that he, beca- he turns up at, like, pivotal moments in the plot. Yeah. There's no way that he would just be going along with this and not realise... Even if it's not like, oh, I'm in a Borat film. It's like, okay, there are cameras here. This guy is sending absurd messages. I'm getting absurd messages in return. Yeah. I'm in the middle of something here. Maybe. You know? I mean, obviously, that the guy is at the um, that tax shop. He obviously becomes in on it, doesn't he? Yes. Um, well, I can't remember his name now. But Brian. Ryan, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's hard to tell. and um, Which I suppose you could say is a good thing, that you can't tell where the... You, know, you can't see the seams of it. Mm. But also... Again, early in the film, when he goes to that shop and he's buying a cage for, to keep his daughter in. Yeah. And he's saying to the guy, how many uh, Jews could I kill with this gas canister? And the guy's mm. like, oh, you could probably kill a couple of Jews. Yeah. 
like i i don't know whether i'm looking at it through the perspective of like being british or whether i'm looking at it through the perspective of like having worked in retail for six years right but again if these two people show up with like a camera crew because most of the cameras they use are like clearly good quality cameras mm-hmm. yes that you wouldn't be able to hide no. so the people are very much aware that there's a camera crew presence yeah despite what the film might, might suggest but yeah if these people turn up with a camera crew and he's like i want to put my daughter in a cage like as someone who's worked in retail for six years you just kind of go off oh, whatever yeah i'll just go along with it and be as neutral as possible until you go away because I yeah, just yeah. want to deal with your shit right But that's the thing. Most people who they're trying to make look ignorant or kind of tacitly... Like that guy. You could look at it and go, he's not challenging him at all on this. Yeah. Thing. Most people just want a quiet life. Yeah, exactly. That doesn't mean that he thinks it's okay for him to go off and like murder Jewish people with it. It's like, oh, whatever. <laughs> or, he's using it as like a shorthand or something. Yeah. yeah. Or they're yeah. like the bottom of the ladder in terms of like, oh, this company who has very strict like customer service policies you can't challenge the customer you can't raise your voice yeah, to the yeah. customer you you must agree with them you must placate them like they're probably just following rules yeah they're americans as well they have an agreeable spirit especially when it comes to customer relationships it is yeah like, whatever the customer wants we got to make it the best experience possible yeah um, i mean that guy made what fifteen hundred dollars out of that borat scene if they genuinely yeah. purchased those goods, he made $1,500 out of that purchase. Of course you would just be like, yeah, sure, I'll just like, agree with what you're saying. I don't care. That's, I would say even the worst characters in the film, right, who I would say are the people he goes and stays with, you know, the right-wing paranoid nutters. Again, yeah. like I looked that up because he said, like there's a couple of articles about that specific scene saying that uh, Sasha Baron Cohen had to stay in character for five days because right. he was stuck in lockdown for five days. So I think they're framing it as these are people that genuinely weren't in on it and he's just pretending to... Right, yeah. But I just don't believe it. Because, again, they become involved in the plot. They have to go to the daughter yeah, and sort of convince her to, like, give herself over to Giuliani, is there? Yeah. 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 Like, they, when Borat shows them the, the, the book that keeps coming back in the film, the mm-hmm. uh, daughter's owner's manual, when he shows that book to them and there's those diagrams of those men raping the woman during childbirth... Yeah they go that i don't believe that that's a conspiracy theory that doesn't make any sense to me but then when they go to the daughter and they say oh your father will be executed they're going to tie him to cows and rip him apart yes like they don't seem to call bullshit on that so it depends right you know the the problem is what is the what are yeah what is the rules of what is the framework of this film what is the reality of this film well just for the sake of this review let's assume that nobody was in on it that appears not to be in on it Okay. Yeah. Just because it's impossible for us to know, isn't it? And yeah, it's hard to talk about. Um, let's assume they are just real people, uh, which I would be willing to believe because I okay. think if they are like genuine kind of xenophobic nutters, then is it raping a woman in childbirth? Uh, what? Because it's like well, I, I think they was like the diagram was of men spit roasting someone, and they were talking about childbirth. So I think that was the idea. But it's, it's, it's the idea that she gives birth and then immediately gets spit roasted. Yes. But yeah. what there was something about if you do something a certain way, like they'll give birth to a something something. Oh, well, uh, it was um, male babies are born standing up. They can walk immediately. Right. After okay. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, that's not true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think if someone who knows nothing about Kazakhstan. It's just like a, a third world toilet somewhere, as far as they're concerned. Yeah. If like the government puts people to death by pulling them apart, 
I would say that's within the realm of believability for because there are barbaric practices like that still practiced in parts of the world. So if you okay. knew nothing about the world, you could reasonably go, yeah, all right, fair enough. Like okay. it's just as I say, it, it it could be seen as a positive that you can't tell where the seams are. Yeah, but for me, it only led to it led me to the point where I just couldn't believe anything that was happening. Okay. But, I right. genuinely didn't know if because again there are so many encounters like the black babysitter for example she becomes like mm. pivotal to the daughter's character development yeah I don't believe that that was a genuine conversation they had because it has too many ramifications and also she comes back later in the film after the coronavirus hits it depends it it's feels either like too... yeah they're in on it mm. either they're in on it they lucked out and yeah. it's like helped the narrative they wanted or they did it with loads of different people and the best one they chose you know what I mean? Maybe. I don't. I don't know. But like, because we can't know, I'm just going to operate for the purposes of this review on the assumption that they are real people. Okay. I'll yeah. I'll give the film. Yeah. I'll I'll, I'll go. I'll go there with you. Sure. Um. So let's say those right wing guys are um genuine. Yeah. Yeah. They believe these stupid things, and you know the fact that he they they came up with that song, and you know yes, these are the people that everyone. These are who everyone thinks Trump supporters are. Right, this is this is yes. the Trump spot. Yeah. Okay. They are there are odious parts of them. But even when like the foreigner walked up to the guy and was like, Can I stay with you? They did they took him in. Like <laughs> they yeah. took him into their house. Yeah. They gave yeah. like asylum to this guy. So even even the worst people in the film are like they have a decency to them. Yeah, exactly. And so yeah, so I felt like the film failed in that respect. I didn't think it was totally unfunny. There were bits I laughed at. I can't really remember any of them now. No. Um, but even like the, the Republican women's group, was there any point to that other than like trying to make Republican women uncomfortable? Again, I don't know whether that was, yeah. I don't know whether that was just a case of, oh, we'll, we'll do a scene where we make fun of Republican women or whether yeah. they needed a scene where the daughter like had character development. Or both, they, right? They put it in like a, they thought, oh, we'll do it in like a women's institute mm. and that'll give us an opportunity to make fun of them. But even then, right? Like, okay, so we're going to like take these down a peg or two. This woman is speaking. She goes up to the stage like, I must speak, I must speak. They're like, yeah, please. Like, this is the place for you yeah. to do so. I just feel like the point you're trying to make is completely falling flat. I mean, it's not going to change any minds. No, because as I say, everyone who is mocked in this film was already mocked. Yeah. So it's not as if it's finding new targets and it's not revealing yeah. anything about anyone. It's just kind of, yeah, it's just like, yeah, Instagram stars. Yeah, like Southerners who like guns. Yeah, Trump supporters. We hated these people already. Yeah. You're just kind of, you're not, there's no shock value. I think that was another thing as yeah. well. Yeah. There's no shock value to this film. No. And I don't know whether that's just a sign of the times or a sign of how toothless... I would this film is. I would say the biggest shock the film has is that if he actually legitimately managed to dupe people like that again, yeah, then that shows that there are a lot of stupid people. That was weird. But we know that I, much. I mean, well yeah, but like that is I mean, my my sort of two cents on this is I think it is still the most unnecessary sequel we've had this year. And I I just don't think we needed Borat back. Well, the argument would be it's the election. Like that would have been the only argument. Well, yeah, so, I mean that's. Cl- I, I kind of felt like that's why they've done it. Yes, that's why that's cl- and release it now as well. Like that yeah. is why they've done it. It was. Um, le- it was less anti-Trump than I thought it was going to be. It's more anti-Republican, I would say, than anti-Trump. Yeah, but yeah. like it's the thing with Giuliani, the most you know the, the um, explosive thing in the film, I suppose. Um, I all of that has been called into question 
Yeah. I haven't read into it, but apparently that's all complete bullshit and manipulation and all the rest of it. Yeah. Who knows? Um, So that, by far, the most controversial thing in the film, and you can't even take it that seriously. Like, go crashing the Mike Pence event, I don't really know what that served to achieve. No. Other than, like, showing, like, in the early stages of coronavirus, they were telling people it's under control. Okay, fair enough. But other than that... um, I don't think that's disputed, though. (laughs) No, like, everyone knows that, and what were they going to say? Panic! You know, so... It's it's like... um, yeah, it's all a bit, it's all a bit silly. I thought she was pretty good. I thought she was better than him in the film. The daughter, yeah, the daughter, yeah, but, but uh, Maria Batlova. Yeah, the daughter takes the brunt of it, doesn't she? Yeah, like Borat, he does a couple of things which are a bit like you know, oh, it would require a bit of bravery to do that. Yeah, like him going to that anti-Trump event, like if that not anti-Trump, anti-mask events. Yeah, uh, like if that had gone awry, then that could have gone bad for them, especially since there were a lot of people with guns at that event. Yeah. But, like, the daughter does that... She has that, like, period dance. Yes. They go to, like, the ball together and she has, her, like, a period while they're dancing. Yeah. yeah. And she's, like, made up to look, like, like disgusting and hideous. And she's, like... Yeah, she's doing a lot of the legwork in terms of the comedy. Sasha Baron Cohen is just kind of there for a lot of it. I suppose that's a function of she's less recognisable, isn't it? Maybe. But I thought she was really good. Like, really um, yeah. up for it, you know? Yeah, she really yeah. went for it. And yeah. that was commendable, definitely. Uh, they've been Sasha Baron Cohen has apparently said that it would be a travesty if she doesn't get nominated for an Academy Award no it would not be a travesty she's okay. good she's good she's not Oscar good no. do you think the Oscars would nominate her no uh, no I, I'd say instinctively but it's I don't know anyth- anything about the Oscars anymore so no, no. Um, I, I don't I think she might get a Golden Globe nomination oh maybe yeah in the musical or comedy category yeah in, in like a, as a lead yeah yeah, yeah um, I can see that. Yes, I can see that. Um, like I said, I'm not really the audience for this film. Um, no. If it's trying to convert me out of what I think, it did a terrible job. Uh, yeah. It's not changing anybody's minds. And like the the thing that re- the, the nail in the coffin, luckily it was at the end, but it was the um, the kid in the in the troll farm saying, as a black person, I really like Trump or whatever. Yeah. Are you what, Are you trying to say that no black people... Trump supporters? Like, I feel really sorry for uh, minorities, Republican minorities. Oh, yeah. Those people just don't seem to exist in the eyes of the left, do they? Oh, no, they exist, but they're race traitors. Oh, they're race traitors. Okay. They're, they're Uncle Tom's. Yeah. Yeah, those people must have it the worst, generally. Genuinely. Y- yes, in, in that sense, because they're basically considered um, in the same way that Muslim apostates are considered, which is you've betrayed your people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, and I, th- I and I don't know I don't know how recognised those people are on the right as well. I mean, obviously, you know, it wouldn't be the same thing. We're like, oh, you're a race traitor. We don't want you supporting the Republican Party. It wouldn't be that. I just don't know how. Oh no, there's um, there's there's none of that um, on the Republican side in the sense of, oh my God, you're a, a you're a, a woman and you're voting for the Democrats. How, there's none of that. Yeah, there's not because the the Demo- or you're a white man and you're voting for the Democrats. Because Democrats think all minorities are their people. Yes. From yeah, women yeah. women to disabled to ethnic minorities to religious minorities. We're your guys. Uh, Rep- Republicans have nothing like that. They Like, no one's betraying their camp, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Other than the far-right Republicans, which obviously just hate anybody that's of a different skin colour. <laughs> yes. Um, Eddie, what did you think of the film? Um, well, this thing. So, I yeah, because I rewatched the first one 
the f- like the first one is just not the kind of film I really watch anymore. Yeah. So in that sense, wasn't a massive fan. I I get like what it what it would have been at the time and stuff like that. And obviously, it is a mockumentary. Yeah. Mm. I just kind of felt it was a bit meh. Like I didn't really. I'd say I I think it's the most unneeded sequel. I don't like. I don't think we needed to see Borat again. To be honest, it's uh, no, we didn't. It's not as perfunctory as I imagined it would be. Mm. In that there was enough narrative stuff, like to yeah. be, for it to make sense. It wasn't just oh, you're gonna get more Borat. Like they really um, justified themselves. Yeah, if you know yeah. what I mean. Like there's, there's elements of that that I like at the beginning. They seem to have like taken the first one into consideration. Yeah, it's weird moments like that though, because you've got moments where. A moment that I think a lot of people may have completely forgotten about the first one is Borat takes a shit outside Trump Tower. Yes. And they use that as a reason why they're going after Mike Pence, because we can't go after Trump. Yeah. Because Trump won't let us anywhere near him. Yeah, yeah. That's really, like, well considered. That's good, yeah. But then you've got other moments, like, when he's in the Prime Minister's office in Kazakhstan, and they're using the CCTV footage. That CCTV is clearly, like, a a normal camera that they're using. Like, Kazakhstan is supposed to be a shithole. Even the Prime Minister's office is a shithole. Yeah. And yet they have really nice CCTV footage. Like almost cinema quality cameras. That was bad. And, and yeah. the very ending with them next to the uh, the running of the American. Oh, God. The that was bad. Was horrible. <laughs> that was bad. Yeah. What was going on there? Did they like forget to film them or something? I don't know. Because they clearly filmed the event. Yeah. Um, and they're standing right next to each other. So it's not even like a, um, like a social distancing thing. Because they're yeah, both yeah. right next to each other. Yeah. I don't know. Also, a weird thing I noticed is that during the anti-mask rally, mm. they use stock crowd sound effects. Do they? Which is very strange because at that moment in the film, the crowd is on Borat's side. Everyone how, is how, cheering. How did you pick up on that that they were using? Well, they, like he's singing the song that he learned with the, the people that he's yeah, in yeah. lockdown with. You know, Obama is a terrorist or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and everyone's cheering and it cuts to a reaction shot of the crowd and you can see everybody clapping and applauding and cheering. But it, I just heard, like, stock sound effects. Right. And I went back and specifically to listen to it. And I just found... I find that strange because I don't... I don't know why. There's no... Re- like, the audio that they would be... Like, they, the crowd would have been cheering. There's surely... It was no audio to replace. Maybe it just sounded not as en- enthusiastic as they wanted it to. Yeah, maybe, maybe they're just trying to beef it up or something. Yeah. I don't know, maybe. But that felt weird to me because it didn't even, it wasn't even a case of, aha, I've seen you, I've caught you manipulating events. Mm. They weren't because the, 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 the stock sound effect was just reinforcing what was already happening. Yeah. So I just found that really strange. There, yeah, there are a couple of moments like that where the seat, where the, on a filmmaking level, the seams show like the terrible green screen and the, you know, we yeah. I mean, discuss those. I've always like looked at, looked at it as the Kazakhstan stuff is all scripted and narrative. So, like, that's allowed to be... to have an artifice to it to some degree. Okay. Um, but not not to that extent, though. Like, it's still going to look like the rest of the film. Yeah. yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, all of Kazakhstan is, is, is very rigidly written. And then anything in America is not. Yes. Basically, it's, it's hard to tell. Um, I don't know. I just think its purpose, its, its objective uh, will, will have failed. Okay, because I don't think it's I don't think it's going to convince anybody either way. Okay, no. So if we, um, I know it's that is I'm sure the point of the film is it's supposed to 
change minds and be like, oh, look at the Republicans. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, but if you take that away, what we're left with is the question, is the film funny? Like, can you just watch it as a comedy film? Can you? There are moments. Okay. It has me, moments. No, but I just don't think it's the kind of film for me. Right, okay. I just I, it, I wouldn't have probably... I, I might have watched it. But I well, certainly watched it because I knew we would discuss it on the podcast. This yeah. is a film where you can't really separate the um, its intent from its content. No, because, no, that might be unfair. Yeah, like an unfair question to ask. But also, like you know, I feel like there are going to be people who want to watch Borat because they want to laugh. Yeah, it's like oh, I'm going to watch Borat because it's funny, not oh, I'm going to watch Borat because it shits on Republicans. Well, if you agree with the film's general thesis. You're going to be howling with laughter for the whole film. Okay. So, like, I think it is, they are inextricably tied, those two things. Like I said, there were some non-partisan laughs. Uh, I can't quite remember any of them, but I did laugh a few times. Okay. Mainly at something the daughter did. Um, But it was basically propaganda, so... Okay. um, So is that a thumbs up or a thumbs down on Borat? Oh, a thumbs down. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, 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 thumbs down. It's not as bad as I thought it would be, but it's not no. good. But it's not I mean, good. the idea of making him patient zero for coronavirus and that's how it got everywhere. Yeah. Get, yeah, fair enough, whatever. I mean, what I like about that is that clearly wasn't the intention from the beginning. Because mm. coronavirus, I know Mike Pence mentions it during that uh, speech, but coronavirus doesn't really come into play until like over an hour into the film. Yeah. And the film is an hour and a half. Yeah. yeah. So it really is like the last stretch of the film where it becomes a factor so they clearly didn't start writing the film as oh Borat's going to spread coronavirus because there was no coronavirus when this film started so I like that I like that again that felt like my memory of the first film where they're just like they're taking all of the the factors surrounding the film and they're sort of incorporating them into the script Mm -hmm. like that feels well and and when the coronavirus thing happens it doesn't feel like tacked on like the way they presented it seems plausible that this was the plan from the start if that makes sense yes yeah, yeah. so I, I i admire that the aspect tom, the, the tom hanks cameo though yeah yes. yeah yeah you know uh yeah thumb, thumbs down broadly okay we have the first ball rat we have the first one yeah exactly. i will i will rewatch the first ball rat um but yeah we have the first ball rat we didn't need the second agreed Okay, so what have we got next? Trial of the Chicago 7. Trial of the Chicago 7. Um, so, uh, it follows the Chicago 7. Uh, it's a, it's <laughs> a group trial, of anti Vietnam War protesters uh, that were charged with conspiracy and crossing state lines with the intention of citing riot at the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Kishar- Kish- Kishar- did you, did you make Did you just make that up? No, I'm reading it off Wikipedia. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, in Chicago. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's all right, isn't it? It's all right. <laughs> well, let's get a few caveats out of the way first. I'm going to assume that the film's depiction of events is broadly correct. I would say yeah. so. I, I, I know there are dramatic conceits in there. Yes. Just to make the narrative a bit neater. Yeah. But yeah, I don't believe there's any point where the film is... Uh, twisting events well, it, too I would far. say, yeah, it hasn't made it on... It ha- there isn't a bit on Wikipedia yet about using dramatic license. That's usually a good sign. Yes. Yeah. I th- there are certain incidents that come down to his word versus his word. Mm-hmm. Uh, like uh, Tom Hayden 
when he said he wasn't egging on the protesters um, and the cop says he was and the film decides that Eddie Redmayne is telling the truth yeah Tom Hayden's telling the truth yeah like that's no one can really know that for certain so um, no but like things like that okay but the film does have an opinion about who's telling the truth uh, it wasn't leaving any ambiguity like the social network kind of did a bit okay uh, yeah, like yeah. who you know yeah. who knows uh, the, the true account yeah, in terms of its politics they're the kind of lefties I can put up with <laughs> like okay. old school hippies fighting for a, a, a decent cause yeah uh, to end the Vietnam War which was a terrible war in the argument between Tom Hayden and Abby Hoffman where Hayden is like uh, you're, you're my problem with the left is that everyone's going to think of you in the future when they think of the left as like w- losers who have long hair and smell and, you know all these different things yeah um I'm with Hayden <laughs> in that thing. Like, I, th- I think the film kind of wants you to be on Hoffman's side more okay. in that particular exchange because he kind of gets the last word on it. Yeah. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm kind of with Hayden. I, I'm with Hayden's school of leftism. Um, I mean, Hoffman uses the term cultural revolution without any irony. Yep. <laughs> uh, Mao's cultural revolution killed millions of people <laughs> i was gonna say which probably explain why that's ironic cult- yes. uh, cultural revolution should we also i mean there's the sasha baron cohen connection yeah i don't know if either of you realize that sasha baron cohen is in borat and he's in trial of the chicago seven yes and trial of the chicago seven is unquestionably the stronger showing for him yes it, he, i mean he, he is without a doubt probably going to get nominated for an oscar for it I, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised um, yeah. if he was nominated for it. I don't think he uh, should who, be. No, I don't, I don't necessarily think he should be, but he will be. Yeah, if anybody, it's going to be him. It, it was all, the, the only people that ever made the list in terms of that cast were him or Redmayne, and he will get it over Redmayne. Well, I suppose, other than maybe Eddie Redmayne, he is the closest thing to a main character that film has, right? So that's about I, think, I think most people, yeah, would say he is the main character. Because he yeah. gets the the final, he sort of goes up on the stand and represents the Chicago Seven, and also his stand-up comedy kind of uh, is part of the framework of the film. Yes, it's the showiest role, and he's the one in all the publicity. So yeah, he he will be considered the lead. Yeah, he's not the lead. Eddie Redmayne is actually the lead of the film. Why do you it's, think that? It's his film. He's the one that has the journey over the course of the film. Okay. Sasha Baron Cohen starts one way and ends exactly the same way. Yeah. He is right. not moved at all by the no, events. Redmayne of the film. does. Yeah. Hayden has the journey in the yeah. film. I want to also say that I, a lot has been thrown about, around about it having contemporary relevance. I really don't think it does. <laughs> Other than the fact that people still protest. Um, we're not in a war that's wrong. Because they're trying to say, oh, it's a, a, a Republican government under like a bad leader, and yeah. freedom oh, of speech is being freedom of speech is being um, <laughs> uh, su- suppressed. They just don't realize that they're the ones suppressing it. <laughs> now, I mean, um, that's sort of unavoidable, isn't it? When, whenever yeah. in the current climate that we're in, if anything is vaguely political or about politics, yeah, you're always going to get the the people who turn up and go, wow. Isn't it great that that doesn't happen anymore in that, like, bitchy, sarcastic tone? Yes. The only thing for me that, in terms of, like, the real-life event that it's based on that I don't really get is why Bobby Seale was ever part of that trial. Um, I think that's explained in the film, isn't it? I think they're trying to wrap him up. Yeah, I can't remember the exact reason why they're trying to wrap him up in the trial. Yeah, I mean... The thing that I don't understand, and I know that this is more a question about the actual person's motivations than the character's motivations 
is why he never got himself another lawyer. I know that yeah. in the film they say that like it's his down, lawyer it was down went, to trust, wasn't it? He, he only trusted well, the other guy. Well, he went. His lawyer, his actual lawyer, went into surgery, and he was asked. He asked if they could postpone the trial so that he would have counsel there to represent him, and they refused. Um, racism was still a thing back in the times. So it was probably because he was black. Uh, isn't the film's um, uh, the, the film's idea of why he was included is that um, people would think of the Black Panthers when they thought of the. Yeah, actually, I think that's it. They, yeah. they were using the Black Panthers because he's a Black Panther leader. So they were using yeah. the Black Panthers to to discredit yeah. the Chicago Seven. Yeah. So it was. It wasn't really Bobby Seal. It wasn't to his detriment. It was to the detriment of everybody else. Yeah, and the fact that it was like you know back in that time as well that it was a black dude that it looked more subversive. You know. Yes. It wasn't just these upstanding white guys that were that were being yeah. tried. But yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, it's if if I was if I was in a similar position where I had a lawyer. And we were about to go to trial, and it was like, oh, we need to postpone the trial, and the and the, the people were like, no, you're going to trial no matter what. Yeah, I'd be fucking pissed. Well, you- and there might be that impulse to stand there without counsel and be like, look, you've put me in this position. Yeah. But also, the guy has a genuine grievance. I don't know why he went the route of uh, protest outside of the bounds of the law, almost. Like, it feels like if he'd actually, like, re-counseled up, Mm. He might. I don't know if he would have had a fair shot because the whole trial is depicted as completely unfair. But he does have a genuine grievance, and I'm surprised that he didn't uh, capitalize well, on that. I suppose you kind of tee up my final caveat, which is, as I said earlier, it's very possible to analyze this film without getting political. Yeah. My problem with it, it's it's not because they're lefties that I instinctively distrust the perspective. It's it's the fact that they're human, people are people, yeah, and not as unambiguously sinless as the film implies. Okay. They're, like, there's basically no darkness to any of the characters. Maybe Eddie Redmayne a little bit, like with his yeah. thing with Cohen, but they're all just like being done a disservice. And I'm not arguing that, like maybe they, they genuinely were. I'm willing to believe that. But mm. the fact that like the film is so on their side all the time, like yeah, maybe there's a reason that Bobby Seale didn't get another lawyer. That's not as that has some kind of there's a dimension of blame to it. You know what I mean? Like maybe he had yeah. bad reasons for doing that, but the film would never show that. And so no, uh, and I, and I, you know, I want to make it clear that I am I'm sort of on Bobby Seale's side in the sense that I think it's like it's it's a bad thing that they went ahead with the trial without him having counsel present, yeah. and the fact that the judge keeps trying to lump. Mark Rylance into uh, like he keeps tr- he keeps claiming that Bobby Seale is being represented by the same lawyer that the Chicago Seven are being represented by, and that's just not the case. That's yeah. all like horrible. I'm completely on his side about that. Yeah, I'm just surprised that he never lawyered up again. Yes, because I do feel like yeah, you had a, you have a genuine grievance. I'm on your side. Why are you going the way that you're going about it? Well, do you know what I got to say? Like the, the, I talked about the West Wing reunion on the fun off. Oh yeah, should, the, should we say? Should we point out that this is an Aaron Sorkin? Uh, yes, film? it's an Aaron Sorkin yeah. film. He is uh, both the writer and the director. It's his second director, directorial film, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, he also wrote the West Wing, and the, the reunion happened. And I talked about how there was an element of kind of annoying wokeness to it. That's not really in this film. And I saw an interview with him recently, um, where it was uh, writers asking him writing questions. You know, amateur writers. 
and they were asking asking about characters and he said the most important thing about your characters will never be that they are black that they are gay that they are men that they are women that will never be the most important thing about them the important thing is what is their intention what is the obstacle in their path and what kind of people are they and what are they going to do to surmount that obstacle that is who your character is and i was like oh the fact that he actually just said skin color is never going to be the most important thing i was like that's like a novel nice thing to hear now you know <laughs> and so it's like it's improved my opinion of him a little bit okay and it in turn improved my uh, view of the film i watched it with a lot of trepidation mm. i like i really really like aaron sorkin but the times in which we live and the kind of film it is it had so much capacity to be irritating yes yes and it really really wasn't no um i wonder how much dramatic license was taken generally in the courtroom scenes yeah, that would be nice to know. Yes, um, and I mean, like, the start of the film where the judges interrupting and getting everyone's names wrong and all that, that felt like a transcription. That felt like, yes. oh, that's exactly what happened. But there, that, Yeah, because I think you said to me, Sam, that, like, there would be conclusive proof of what was said in that courtroom. Every yeah. second of that. Transcribed. Yeah, every second So it would have been interesting to know at what moment was Sorkin copying off the transcript and at what moment was he being Aaron Sorkin and writing yeah. that Aaron Sorkin dialogue. Because yeah. there are definite Sorkin inventions in there. They're just like, oh, yeah. you know, uh, it feels like a Sorkin thing. Yeah. But obviously I mean, he's juggled it well enough. Yeah, yes. the fact that... Um, uh, who does Keaton play? The former... Ass- Attorney General, I believe. Attorney General. Yeah, he was legitimately not allowed to speak in front of an audience. Like, that's all legitimate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the broad strokes I completely agree with. I think it's more the minutia I'm interested in. Yes, the mm. dialogue. Like, basically. were the things that were said in the film actually said in the courtroom? And were they said in the way that they were said. I think probably a lot of it, but not all of it, isn't yeah. it, realistically? Um, I thought go on. That, uh, sorry, the whole cast was great. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, still definitely. really like Mark Rylance. He was my favourite thing about it. Yeah. He is uh, up there, yeah. Mm. But I have three favourite performances, because it's a big cast and there's a lot to like. Um, yeah. I really liked Rylance. I really liked um, Jeremy Strong as, as Ruben. Mm-hmm. I love just that character, like that. He, he's almost a stereotype, really, but <laughs> just like you know, the lead back kind of Jewish uh, dope head. I really, really liked him. I, I, was the I love was, of my life. How long have you known it? Like eight hours. <laughs> he was great. And I liked that. Yeah. Uh, I read up on him recently and I found out that in later life, he became a very successful businessman. Which yeah. just like, <laughs> given who that the countercultural hippie that he is, yeah, you just really don't expect. Like, oh, good, he grew up and he like became wealthy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought Cohen's accent was ropey. It wasn't yeah. yes. great. I can't remember exactly what about it felt off, but I do remember it feeling off. Yeah, like there are certain texts that clearly that's how the real guy speaks. Yeah, um, his pronunciation of certain things, but. Yeah, sometimes it veered into his nor- his normal accent, English yeah, accent. Yeah. Um I thought Yahya Abdul Mateen the second was was pretty good. Mm-hmm. But as you pointed out, George, when he's interrupting the case, the trial, he's also interrupting the film. <laughs> so yes. it's yeah. like it is actually quite annoying. He's a he is a yeah. nuisance. Um But my favorite thing <sighs> was Eddie Redmayne. <laughs> <laughs> It feels, Surely not. Feels, feels horrible saying that. But, I, th- um, I did think Redmayne's accent was fairly consistent. His accent was good. I just liked. I thought the performance was really good. Was, you you um, liked Eddie Redmayne in a film. I really liked Eddie Redmayne in it. Yeah, I think if anyone deserves an Oscar nomination, it's him. 
Jesus. Okay, George, George, George. You know when when we do our clips for the social media? Yeah. yeah. Just that sentence. <laughs> just Sam saying that. Yeah, no, I thought he was With like great. 90 like shock emojis. Like, what? <laughs> Kettle's like just, it'll be fuming with us. So, <laughs> Yeah, he was. He was my favorite thing about it. Um, as I said, though, Cohen is like the most publicized one. And he, he gets the... There is no, like, a few good men moment, really, um, with Nicholson. Like, we thought we were going to get that with Keaton. Yeah, yeah there's, there's a couple of moments where it feels like the film is ramping up, like, right, this is the moment, and then it just gets batted away. Yeah, because we... Which I kind of like. We watched it together, right? And yeah, yeah. there was that scene where they go and visit Michael Keaton, mm. and, you know, it's Michael Keaton. Yes. So it's, like, it's stunt casting, isn't it? And... Like, okay, he's going to get the Jack Nicholson final, yeah. uh, you know, uh, vindicating speech. And he just doesn't. And I like that. Like you said, yeah. John, the film was blue balling us. Like, you know, you're not going to get that. Yeah, and then exactly. You- and I wonder I wonder if he knew that. Because obviously Aaron Sorkin wrote A Few Good Men. Yeah. And this is a courtroom film. And I'm pretty sure if you're familiar with A Few Good Men and you were going into this, you were expecting the big Jack Nicholson. You can't handle the truth. Yeah. You were expecting like another one of those and you never get it. And I wonder if that was an intentional decision on Sorkin's part. I think definitely intentionally a dramatic intention. Yeah. Um, Mm. Because I mean, the fact is it's a real thing and real life doesn't quite have as cathartic a narrative, a a structure as, uh, you know, as a a film. Even though it does have its sort of hokey ending. It it does. Um, Yeah, it does have that kind of uplift but but there is no grandstanding no uh but yes even though cohen gets that moment i I think it is redmayne's film basically okay i don't think it's this is a a nitpick really but i don't know that it's necessarily a result of racism that seal was bound and gagged that's going to be a controversial point to make okay because maybe it's come out that that judge was unambiguously a racist Mm. i'm not disputing that but i feel like it's an instance of anachronistic foreknowledge, right? Like, I, the, the film pre- presents no suggestion that he is racist, just incompetent. We are just asked to trust Mark Rylance and Ben Shankman. Yes. Because that scene where they, they, they called up to his, you know, the thing, and he says to them, uh, no one in my life has ever accused me of being racist. Yeah. And he says, I am. And yeah. then the other guy says, I'm, you know, consider this the second. I was like, I- I'm just supposed to take your word for that because I like you, because I like your characters. I know what you mean. Yeah. I mean, like... Yeah, I suppose the only way to be able to test that is to know whether the judge would have done the same thing yes. to literally anybody other anybody else that's on trial. Because at this point, Bobby Seale, he's been held in contempt like many, many times. Yeah. He's been given multiple warnings by the judge. He's constantly interrupting the trial. I'm not saying the judge had it, I was justified no, no, no. in any way. But I think the point that I'm making is that the judge has handed down all of these punishments to him and they've just not taken. So in the judge's mind, it's probably like, right, what the hell else can I do? Yeah. Literally just gag him. Yeah. I mean, like I said, the film didn't make, didn't convince me that he was a racist. I mean, because it's not on public record. It's just, there's like an inference of racism. But yeah. Well, like, sorry, I was just going to say, because there is stuff about him. Yeah, like maybe he is. Like this is, I'm just going off the film here, you know, like what the film was supposed to convince me of. Yeah. So in terms of what is written... Uh, he was he was viewed quite unfavorably, certainly as time went on. Right, like in, judge now. Yeah, uh, he, he most people responded negatively when asked if they thought he could be impartial. 
Yeah, that's um, clear. He's clearly not impartial. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and in, in and I've got the note up now. In 1982, uh, he was ordered not to be assigned any new cases because of his attitude and how he was behaving. Okay. Um, but he carried on presiding over the ones he already had like down mm. until he died. No, he was a terrible partisan judge. Like, no doubt about it. Yeah. yeah. But as far as the film goes, like, even if the other the other guys on trial had been as, you know, had interrupted as much as Seal did, but they don't. The film very clearly shows that he's always interrupting the trial. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And like, yeah, he gets bound and gagged, which again has like kind of a racial connotation to it. So you just, you don't do that, whatever the situation anyway. But I, I just took it to be a, an instance of cruel and unusual punishment rather than a blatant inaction of racism. Yes. But, but I'm not saying it wasn't. I'm just saying the film no. didn't tell me, convince me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yes. But th- that is really just a nitpick. Yeah. I've got, yeah. uh, I didn't get much from Gordon Levitt as I thought I'm like, he's just there. He's the straight guy, isn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah. Really. Um, if this, if this film, I think we talked about it before we saw it, but, and I wasn't sure about it, but if it doesn't win the SAG Ensemble Award, that would be a travesty. <laughs> What's it's his competition? Such, I don't know. I've no De, idea. Do five bloods, maybe. I, I don't think we've seen a lot of them yet. You know. Yeah. Because mm. um, yeah, I th- I feel like at the moment, Nomadland is Madland is still the favourite for getting any sort of wins for anything, isn't it? Yeah, and sometimes like the ensemble will be two or three people. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really hard to tell, but it's such an ensemble. It's, it reminded me of Spotlight in that way. You know, it's such an ensemble film. Yes. Um, it deserves that award because everyone in it is, is pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I said before that like Mark Rylance was my favorite thing about it. I yeah. think that what I was so taken by is that, and it might just sort of be a reflection of his time as a theater actor. Oh yeah. But it didn't feel like he was acting. It didn't feel like he was putting on like, right, my character has these traits, you know, yeah. whether it's like, oh, he has a bit of a limp or he puts his hands in his pocket or he has, um, his lips are slightly curled. There was nothing like that. He was just being a guy. Yeah. Mm. And yet he was so, like, specific. Yeah. It didn't feel like he was just being Mark Rylance. He was fe- he felt like he was being a specific guy. Yet there's no, like, one thing I could point to about his performance and say, oh, that's what made him so unique or so idiosyncratic. I know what you mean. The, the wig is a bit... Eh. The wig's a bit out yeah. there, but that was probably just to make him look a bit more like the actual guy. Wasn't yes, it? Um, which is oh, fair yeah. enough. It's definitely. I think we watched it, and like five minutes in, I said to you, Jord, like you can tell he's a theatre actor. Yes, oh, it's yeah, like yeah, he's in his can. element. I will. I will say he does have hair, so the fact that he's got a wig <laughs> is, is a bit strange. <laughs> yeah. Does he have that hair though? The Not hair as that he has no, but he did. Uh, there were a, a while ago. He had long hair. It could have okay. been like fashioned into it, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, the film is quite wiggy. I was worried about that that it'd be too wiggy. Um, it's not really. Um, no. Before Mark Rylance ventured into film, and all I knew about him was that he was considered pretty much the best living stage actor in the world. Yes. Um, and I'd never seen him like, oh, he really is a theatre guy because I'd never seen anything, mm-hmm. you know. And then he was in Bridge of Spies and a bunch of other things. And given that that was my only exposure to him, I never got it. It's like, really? This guy? He's considered one of the best actors in the world? He never wowed me in film. But seeing him in a film that's a bit more theatrical, I, will, I, will I do say, understand it. If I know you're not a massive person for going to see the theatre. Yeah. But if the version of Jerusalem, uh, which he's meant to be reprising the role in, yeah. does come back to London, 
I would love to take you to see it because that is one of the best performances in terms of theatre that he's done. I have seen a few clips of him in that and it is outstanding. Yeah. Remarkably good. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not saying again, you know, I uh, I just all I had was him in film and he never really did like every character he's played has been buttoned down and like doing very little. Yeah, it's it's weird choicing for film, really. I suppose it's like him doing like, oh I can do that in film and so I'm gonna pursue projects where I get to not be extravagant. Do you know what mm. I mean? Um so it makes sense, like going from Jerusalem and the Shakespearean stuff to Bridge of Spies, which is the most muted button-down yeah. character um, makes sense as a, as an actor's choice. Mm. But seeing him in this is like, because Sorkin, as he said in the interview, I write theatre. I just disguise it as a movie. Yes. I give you enough visual stuff to, to trick you into thinking you're watching a film, but all I've ever written are plays. Yes. But he's good at it. <laughs> he's yeah. very good he's at very, it. He's very, very good at it. There is, however, one small... I think it's a mistake... If it's not a mistake, I don't understand why this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think uh, you noticed it as well, Sam, when we were watching it. Yeah. There's a moment where the judge is listing off the characters' names, and it's cutting to the character. Well, it was cutting to the character, so it's like uh, John Carroll Lynch's character, and it shows John Carroll Lynch. And it's like uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's character, and it shows Sasha Baron Cohen, and then he says Bobby Seal, which is obviously played by what was his name? Sorry, Yahya Abdul Mateen II, played by him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, ju- I genuinely didn't remember his name. That's we're we're going to call him Yam Two from now on. Yam Two, okay. Yam Two. So yeah, he says Yam Two's character's name, and it cuts to Eddie Redmayne. Yeah, that is strange. That's yeah, that's probably an error. It I'd must imagine. be an error because I don't know. Having now seen the rest of the film, I don't know what that would have implied. Because mm. him and Eddie Redmayne don't really have a relationship in the film. No. Um... I'd have to rewatch it. There were a few things early on that made me think, because it is only his second time directing, yeah. and he hasn't quite got there yet. But I mean, not not to the film's detriment. I was surprised, because he wrote it, I was really worried that it was going to be incredibly indulgent. Yes. And yeah. like just not that well put together. It's certainly not Fincher directed. It's, it's, not, um, it's not showy in any way, the directing. It's just filming the film. But I thought that worked for it. And it, yes. it was very well behaved and it, it got th- its story told really quickly. Yes. I think, I think I saw something saying that this is an older script of his. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Because Steven Spielberg was supposed to originally direct this. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if any of the compliments that we've levied of these, of, at this film still apply to Aaron Sorkin because this is a script that he wrote years ago. So this is more a reflection of him back when he wrote it as opposed to the Aaron Sorkin we have now. Basically, what I mean is, like, I don't know if the film was written today, whether it would be more politically charged or whether it would be more left-leaning. Well, I genuinely don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm going to assume that he rewrote, 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 rewrote. So, yeah, uh, I think you, you can still say it's a function of him now, especially when he was going to direct it. I'm sure you rewrote it a thousand times. Yeah. Yes. And I'd be interested to know how much was cut. If barely nothing was cut, that makes it even more impressive mm. that they really only filmed what they thought they needed. Yeah, definitely. The highlight for me, if there was a few good men moment, it was the the discovery that Hayden incited the riot. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I loved that that build up of you know because that's just on the heels of the moment where he has a go at Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah, he's like, you are you know you are everything that's wrong with uh, left leaning politics. Yeah, and then the very next moment is Mark Rylance walking in, going, "You Eddie Redmayne, this is all your fucking fault." Yeah, yeah, no, it was great, and just the way it was 
cutting between Rylance like acting as uh, the prosecuting attorney and seeing that the actual almost, event. It was. I felt almost uh, social networky, didn't it? It did, yeah, like jumping. Yeah, all over where you the place had like and, yeah. four or five scenes running simultaneously, and it was sort of cutting between the two of them, or yeah. the, all of them, you know. Yeah, that was that was fab. Um, yes, the ending is a bit hokey. It's a bit dead poet society. <laughs> with like the angry judge trying to control the chaos like get down off yeah. that table boy you know um it was a bit corny and i'd be interested to know how much dramatic license was taken in regards to who stood and who left i forgive it either way like it is corny but the film generated enough goodwill that i didn't mind yeah mm. but yeah i'd be interested to know if jordan Lev- gordon Lev's character stood up and did that and you know the, the, everyone else left you know because i that- believe that he would have i mean he yeah protested from the very beginning didn't he he was with them basically wasn't he yeah he was with them from the start it just so happened that he'd been put on the wrong side of the yeah of the of the pulpit or whatever it is he yeah. was just doing his job i mean him and he and redmayne are, are like the the more interesting characters really cohen is the showy one and he's going to get the awards buzz i'm sure yes but it, it really doesn't deserve it i don't think because his performance is quite um not monumental but kind of he's playing almost an idea rather than a, a character. Do you know what I mean? I, I, yeah, I kind of get it. Because Abby Hoffman is iconic, that guy. Yeah. He, he is the icon of the counterculture movement. Yeah. And so he's just embodying the ideology of that and being quite sarcastic in that Sorkin way. And, yes. You know, yeah. um, he, he doesn't go anywhere in the film. Whereas Gordon Levitt, that is an interesting thing about... I fundamentally oppose that they're even on trial, but my job is to prosecute them and I'm going to do my job to the best of my ability. Yeah, in a way, I kind of wish we'd seen more of him. Yeah. Because mm. that's an interesting premise for a character that, like, I fundamentally disagree with everything that I'm doing, but I have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's fine. Like, I think he gets enough. He has his little redemption at the end when he stands while yeah. uh, the hokey ending is happening. And, you know, whenever something too controversial is happening, you can see him looking visibly uncomfortable mm. so i don't feel like there's ever a moment where it's like oh that character's too far gone or he's just like oh i'm just the bad guy now so i'm going to embrace that yeah no it was he was yeah he's the one character i mean i was a little not annoyed but the fact that it's called the trial of the chicago seven and it only ever really focuses on three of them yeah like two of them i don't even know their names like they were barely in the film yeah um it would be nice if like we spent a bit of time with all of them but Joseph Gordon-Levitt was one character I wish we'd spent more time with, mm. definitively. I feel like had it been the Spielberg film, it would have been another Lincoln, and you would have spent time with all of them. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, that's kind of explained in film, isn't it? Like, you're only on trial so that when they um, waive the charges, it'll make them look fair. Yes. Um, so I kind of understood why they were minimized. Uh, like, they had to pick who it really shone the spotlight on, but... Yeah, that end. Did you ever get like the sharp intake of breath, almost welling up thing? Like, yeah. Do you ever get that in the film? <laughs> a little bit. I kind of got bit. it when he's reading off the names of all the um, yeah, all the people. Really it's, 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 it's the hacksaw ridge thing. Well, the music is doing the job, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Um, I think that's all I've got to say about the trial of the yeah, that's Chicago Sound. Yeah, I think this is one that we definitely recommend. Right? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Do you think? Do you think a lot of people? Because again, it's on Netflix, so there's a chance that we might be past the phase where it's on the front page of Netflix and everyone's just watching it because it's there. Yeah. But do you think it's a film that most people would like? I feel like I read a thing recently where it said it was doing disproportionately well for a film of its type. Okay. Like loads and loads of people were watching it. Mm. Yeah. Good. You know? Yeah. Good. yeah. And I hope it's for the right reasons. I hope it isn't yes. just because, oh, Netflix, film, go. 
And indeed, oh, I hope this uh, really like gives a kick into the Republicans because it doesn't really. No, no, not it doesn't really. really. Um, yeah, watch it. Definitely, yep. definitely. If if we're going like if if we're discounting Parasite and uh, the Lighthouse from this year, you know, uh, it's probably my favorite film of the year thus far. Fair. I mean, it doesn't have much competition. No, <laughs> no. To but be fair, yes, yeah. I think it might be at the top. Yeah, we'll see. We haven't got long to go now. A couple of months left. Yep. All right. Should we get on to the final item then? The main event. The, 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 the main event. Which the actual Halloweeny part. I feel like we're probably going to end up wrapping up in like twenty minutes time. Yeah, we haven't got very long before my mother gets home. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so the, the the haunting anthology um, yes. series. Are we going to um, talk a little bit about Hill House before we move on to Blind Manor? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to be honest. I didn't rewatch it. I didn't rewatch it. But I've watched it about three or four times in its entirety, so I feel like I've got a <laughs> right, okay. a, a good sense of it. Eddie, yeah, I had a go at you a couple of podcasts ago, well, a few podcasts ago now, because you hadn't watched Hill House. Yeah, have you now watched Hill House? I've watched Hill House. What do you think of Hill House? Yeah, it's all right. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, it is. It is very good. It is very okay. good. I I mean I had no idea really what I was sitting down to watch. Yeah. Like I just I knew what it like I'd heard of it. I knew that like it's from a novel from ages ago and that plenty mm-hmm. of like adaptations of it have been done. Mm-hmm. Um but no, yes, very good. I liked the cast. I'd like I thought there was some very good performances from it. Were the cast um basically unknowns prior to filming Hill House or had they all kind of done stuff before um Mikhail Hussman was in Game of Thrones wasn't he yeah he's yeah he Dario Naharis yeah but like a, a relatively minor character um, yeah and Timothy Hutton is is known the, the yeah. dad um, um, he's, he's an Oscar winner but everybody else yeah basically unknown yeah okay because I think that definitely adds added to it the fact that you didn't know a lot of these. And the thing that I noticed as well watching Bly Manor is that I was sort of calling them by their Hill House name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which we'll get into it when we get to Bly Manor. But yeah, like the, the Hill House characters have sort of become them now. Well, to me. I'll tell you how we'll do it, right? I've, we've mentioned it before on the podcast. We've never like reviewed it. I'm a massive fan of it. But I will, I'll go by like your review of it, if you know what I mean, Eddie. Yeah. I'll kind of jump off your thing of it. Because yeah, Victoria Pedretti, I think it was her first thing. Okay. Yeah. Did. Well, I was to say Kate Siegel is married to Mike Flanagan. Yes. So. Yeah. And s- such was my experience of it that she's Nell in everything I watch now. Yes. <laughs> she will be Nell forever to me. Yeah. yeah. Whenever something bad happened to her in Blind Manor, I was like, I'll oh, leave Nell alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's been through enough. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. <laughs> I was like, I'm thinking of like, because she goes through obviously a real shit time in Hill House. Yes. And then. It doesn't get better for in Vlayan. This is a question. Are we spoiling? I think we can spoil Hill House, right? Okay. Yeah. Can we? Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's been it's a couple out of years for... old. I mean, it makes it easier to talk about. But if there is, uh, you know, if if there is somebody listening to this who hasn't yet watched Hill House, I kind of don't want to spoil it for them. Okay. You know? Do we need to talk about the ending of Hill House? Not the ending. I don't think we have to, do we? No. No. There was one thing I I was going to ask about it, which does spoil one part of it. Okay. Which is about Nell. Okay. Which is, how the fuck is she her own ghost? I think, well, I mean, (laughs) if there's a spoiler, that's a pretty big one. Um, (laughs) Yeah. That's why I she She just is, is the answer. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Is it the same of the Midnight in Paris of... 
they went back to the 20s because they just did. I, yes, I don't think there's a rhyme or reason to it. Like, the, the ghost lore of her is that. Yeah. yeah. In the same way... So one of the things I like about both series is how they both use the idea of ghosts in different ways to mean different things. Mm. Yes. It's yeah. never just one thing, that it's it's a memory. Or- I kind of like that um, the existence of ghosts in Bly Manor is almost... It's sort of an inverse of the existence of ghosts in Hill House. Right. Because to sort of give away a little bit of a giveaway as to the ending of Hill House, that series ends positively. Yeah. yeah. Like, the, the fact that ghosts exists initially, that's a very hostile... The ghosts seem very hostile. Mm. and it seems like a bad thing the ghosts are here and the ghosts are sort of the villains of the show but by the end of Hill House it sort of becomes clear that no actually the fact that there are ghosts in this house that's actually a nice thing yes whereas in Bly Manor it's sort of the opposite like it's like the ghosts it's not a good thing that these ghosts are in Bly Manor you know yeah yeah no, it's not a good enough. reason that they're all still ghosts so sort of I, I like that he kind of flicked it in that regard it wasn't just kind of a rehash of Hill House. He was sort of yeah, yeah. coming at it from a different angle. Um, we should sort of clarify what it is, I suppose. If you don't know anything about it, it's a, a self-contained anthology series. The Haunting of Hill House is just its own mini-series. And then he's kind of, he's utilized a lot of the cast and then made, adapted another book, an entirely different story with zero connection narratively to Hill House. Yeah, um, like, they, like they American Horror themes. Story, basically. Yes, except there is, well, with American Horror Story now, there is a universe, isn't there? But, yes, um, yeah. But so, prior yeah. to series three of American Horror Story, there wasn't. They yeah. were just genuinely different stories. Just distinct entities, yeah. They also they also reuse a lot of Hill House music in Bly Manor. They do, yeah. yeah. Like Nell's theme is reprised a few times in Bly Manor. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, I, I, I didn't like that. I didn't like that, no. It's, um... I get why they've done it. Like, there's got to be a through line beyond the cast, I suppose. I don't know. The, I feel like the name, like the haunting, that is going to be the name of the anthology series going forward. It's going to be the haunting of blah yeah. blah blah. Yeah. And the fact that they're reusing actors as well, but I don't know, like reusing music as well. Yeah. No. It, like that feels like a step too far. It feels like you know, that whenever you're talking about the two, you're always going to be comparing Bly Manor to Hill House. Yeah. I think those are completely fair comparisons to make. Using the music as well feels almost like it's inviting those comparisons. It feels like yes. they're like we're bringing as much of Hill House into this as we can feasibly manage, and I don't like that. It should be its own thing, you know. Yeah, you're cementing a continuity that if I don't like Bly Manor, it's harder to ignore. <laughs> um, yes, exactly. Yeah, and I, I do. N- Let's talk about Hill House first, Eddie. Okay. What was your general opinion of Hill House? You can't, Genuine, you can't say I, like you can't say it's alright. You got to give an opinion. <laughs> Uh, genuinely like the fact that it's taken me so long to get round to it 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 is bad like because i yeah i really enjoyed and like because i did i really enjoyed watching bly manor as well but yeah i really did enjoy like watching it and it's quite nice because it's not the biggest name cast in the world yeah that's quite nice because it is a very very well done series where you're not sat there going, ah, oh, you're this from this and this. Yeah, yes. you're not distracted by the actors. Yeah, you're yeah. taking no baggage with you into it. And th- th- that means they get to create those, ro- really create those roles for you. Like yeah. I said, the only danger, like if, if you're casting a next James Bond or, or Doctor, I've always said you've got to go with someone who nobody knows. Yeah. So they can make their, because after that, they're always going to be the Doctor and James Bond, whatever film they do. Yeah. And so 
you know, the, the beauty of that is they get to make it their own, which is the case with, uh, with Hill House, is I'd never seen those people before. So that is Nell to me, and that is Luke to me, Yeah, you know? Yeah, like, uh, the only one I had seen is the guy who played Darian Harris. Yes, I'd seen Timothy Hutton in a few things, but um, he certainly made the role his own. But, yeah, I mean, I did, there was a moment where uh, Kate Siegel, like, it's, it's you'll see, she's a, is a lesbian the right word? Is, yeah. is she? I was trying to decide if she was a lesbian or a bisexual before I I've committed. I think to that. she's lesbian, isn't she? Yeah. Oh no, she kiss. She does kiss the husband. Yeah, but the her reasons for that are sort of beyond uh, sexual satisfaction. Yeah. They? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I. That's what I, I, don't, I just didn't yeah. know the right clarification for it. But regard- I'm gonna I'm gonna say lesbian, especially yeah. since there are lesbians in Bly Manor as well. No, the, I will add, though, the only reason I would be a bit thing about just saying lesbian is Kate Siegel is bisexual. Yeah, she is. Right, okay. So I don't know whether they would have done, like, oh, her character also is. Yeah. But, okay. Yeah. But there was, a, there was a moment where once I realised that she was married to Mike Hannigan. Is it F- Hannigan? Flanagan? Fl- Flanagan. Flanagan. Yeah, yeah. Flanagan. I'm just thinking of the guy from Friends. Um, <laughs> Mike Flanagan. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. yeah uh, married to Mike Flanagan. I did sit there and think... How much did he sit around high-fiving himself when he realised he was going to just watch his wife kiss another woman on screen? Um, well, I, d- I suppose it depends, doesn't it? If she's, bi- if she's bisexual, yeah. p- possibly very anxious. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh God, she might, yeah, yeah. she might fall in love with this stunning Asian woman yeah, she's going to yeah. be making out with. Who, who is, credit to credit, very attractive as well. Yes. Uh, if, if you go for that. Not your thing? Oh, Sam and his... Don't, uh, no, no, I don't. I've said before, I'm not. I'm generally not attracted to Asian women, no matter how attractive they are. Fair. Okay. With, with rare exceptions. Yeah. Parasite girl being... Fair enough, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, that's, no, that's, yeah. You can't like Parasite girl. Why? That's like saying, again, it's going back to the Godfather thing. That's like saying, oh, Godfather's my favourite film of all time. The, so, so? Yeah, but the, the point being that that's, that's a... Um, a kind of boring answer because the Godfather is so demonstrably good. Yes. So there's no point saying you can't be attracted to her because she's so attractive. <laughs> make any sense? Yeah, you probably didn't quite work that with that, George. To be honest, um, Eddie, I don't want him to take her from me. Okay. You gotta work with me on this. I mean, I tell you this, George. If she ever enters our lives in any way. I will completely step back and let you do your thing. <laughs> well, thank you. Sir. Sorry, okay, sorry. I ge- that was, that was the, the the chivalrous thing to do. <laughs> for for that scenario alone, I might DM her on Twitter and see if we can get her on the podcast. <laughs> but yes, no, very good. I thought it was was very well acted. I thought it was genuinely speaking fairly well written as an adaptation. Yeah. Say, I don't know the source material well enough, but oh, I think it. I thought it came across. I, well. Sorry, I think it's totally unfaithful to the source material. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It uses character names and some of the ideas. But tells a totally unique story. Fair. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I, for example, obviously... in the initial story, they're not a family. None of them are related. Oh, okay. Because, yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously, with Blind Manor, they make the point of saying it's loosely based off about seven different things. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. I mean, like, the family in uh, the in Hill House really reminded me of Six Feet Under, where it's like, it's about a family and you like Ooh, the family. Okay. Mm. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, kind of. You've, you've got the, the, the funeral home comparison. Yeah, there's well. that too. There's a funeral home in both of them. Yeah. But it reminds a good, because I think a lot of shows about families are either sitcoms or kind of soapy dramas. Yeah. And that's what I like about this. It's, it's not. You really, it really feels like they're a family. It's sort of a family drama first, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is, yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah, the horror, it's especially in Bly Manor. Like, Blight Manor, I don't know if it was sold as, oh, this is scary. Mm. Like, this is a horror show and it's scary. 
Because I feel like if it was, then that was completely the wrong angle to take. Bly Manor is not scary. No. And Hill House, there are, mom- there are jumpy moments, mm. and there are moments where the show clearly goes, all right, something spooky is going to happen now. Get ready for the spooky. Yeah, mm. yeah. Bly Manor didn't really have any of Bly Manor was just sad. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how you felt about Bly Manor. I, just, I was just really sad watching it. Mm. Yes. It, it does have more of that ghost storiness to it. Of It's more tragedy than it is a horror yeah, and and like like it's a ghost story, like the film. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. And I don't know whether that's go- the, uh, an indication of the direction he's going to be going in going forward. Like, I don't know if we're going to get to like the fourth or fifth The Haunting series, mm. and there's basically going to be no horror in it. It's just going to be like family drama because that's what has been the sort of focus of yeah both Hill House and Bly Manor. I think it's that thing that we've talked about of a second season needing to capitalize on what made the first so good yeah and i guess he looked at it and thought what people really liked about hill house wasn't necessarily the horror it was the um the feels yeah you know um and so i'll really double down on that which he does i can see that especially since the the returning characters from hill house apart from maybe the mother they were all the breakout characters from hill house yeah like nell luke theo and the father Mm. the younger father they were all the breakout characters of the first season yeah so I mean, um, that was nice. It was nice to see Nell have a more prominent role. Because even though she's incredibly important to Hill House, she herself is not really a presence in the story. It's analogous to American Horror Story in that way, where Jessica Lang is a supporting actress in the first season. But, like, clearly it was the best thing about it, so it became the lead. Yeah, I mean, in yes. my opinion, Victoria Pedretti is the best thing about Hill House. Yeah, fair. Followed closely by Timothy Hutton, the older father. Mm. I think he just really, like... You believe he's carrying all this stuff with him, you know? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Hill House is is a masterpiece as far as I'm concerned. It, I, um, I do. Uh, I did really like Oliver Jackson Cohen as well, and he's really good. Yeah, like you believe their brother and sister again. You just believe yeah. these people. It's, it's not even just like, you believe in the brother and sister. He plays a drug addict fairly well. He does. Yeah, and then yeah. in the second series as well, he plays a cocky asshole very yeah, well Scottish really well. as well like, yeah. because they all put on accents apart from maybe Victoria Pedretti they all put on accents yeah. in series 2 um, some of them aren't great the mother uh, who is telling the story no. her accent is awful <laughs> that's <laughs> bad um, Henry Thomas's accent is is pretty bad yeah um, it's not terrible but the, you know it it's too much. It's full. Yeah. It's, too, it's too much. It's definitely the, too much. The show, I guess we'll talk about both seasons at the same time, really, then. Um, I think it's unavoidable, yes. really. Yeah. Uh, the second season, Bly Manor. Um, the, the thing with Bly Manor is that, that gets me is the introduction of the kids. No, no kid speaks like that. I'm sorry. Yeah, the yeah. Peppa Pig girl. Um, she must, the only way I would accept that is if she's actually like that in real life, because she is just way too much, you know? But that's sort of the point, isn't it? I guess kind of heightened um, and they're supposed to be spooky kids aren't they yeah but they're spooky, spooky kids though. and they're She's... talking posh no, ridiculously oh don't get me wrong like Blind Manor was a letdown for me like generally I didn't like it nearly as much as I liked Hill House I wouldn't call it a letdown no. I wish I'd been more prepared going in like I wish I'd been more prepared for the fact that this is sadder than Hill House right like there's not like the bent neck lady in Hill House for me that's kind of like a perfect horror concept mm-hmm because, like, horror, a lot of people will say, oh, horror is fear of the unknown. Yeah. That's what's so scary about horror. As something is, as you learn more about a thing, it becomes less scary. The Weeping Angels is a perfect example. They're brilliant in Blink, but the more episodes we had with them and the more of them we saw, they were kind of crap. Mm. But the Bentneck Lady, she she becomes scarier the more you learn about her. 
Yeah. Like, she's a scary image at first, but then when you learn about, like, who the bent neck lady is and what's happening to her, that becomes, like, viscerally terrifying Well, to it, me. it becomes, the word I'd use is horrible. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Like, the, the big twist. We, we obviously, we're going to, we sort of talked about it already. The big twist is that, yeah, Nell is her own um, ghost. And yes. as she is realizing that, it functions less as a plot twist where you're going, oh my God, it's her. And more as like, oh Jesus, because her response to it is so viscerally horrible. Yeah, it's like, like you, this. Because you get to see her whenever she's seen the bent net lady, like just seeing it from the, the dead side, basically. Yeah, and just yeah, like and sobbing. I think that's one of the things. Yeah. That's one of the things that's so effective about it is because when Nell is alive and she's seeing the bent neck lady, she's obviously terrified of it. Yeah. But when Nell is dead and she is the bent neck lady and she's seeing her living self, she's scared all over again. It's, well, it's reasons. it's traumatized. It's much worse for the bent neck lady than it is for little... Yeah, Nell, and yeah. that's what's so brilliant about it. It's yeah. such a brilliant... Like, it's... Yeah, it's such a terrifying idea. Yeah. And it's definitely one, one of, if not the best things about Hill House. I mean, the bent neck lady episode where it's her identity is revealed yeah and the episode that follows it which is Nell's funeral two are two of the best episodes of television Hands in down. recent memory yes. yeah two storms for sure. especially for me I think is one of yeah. the best things I've ever seen on television yeah and um, there is nothing in Blind Manor which comes anywhere close to that no and maybe I talked about this on the fun off I think we shouldn't have gone in expecting it to no yeah I yeah I didn't That's fully fine. like. I, yeah, I didn't think it was going to be as good, but I was expecting some magic in the same manner as Two Storms. I mean, the first couple of episodes where I suppose the main ghost is Edmund, her boyfriend or her fiance that gets killed, and mm. so when whenever she sees him, he's always in the mirror and his glasses are always lit up. Yeah, that's sort of the ghost of the first few episodes. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh god, if that's our bent neck lady, this is going to be a shit season. Yes. It's not. It's not bad at all. Like, don't get me wrong. It, Blade Manor is. It's got quite a lot going for it in in a way. No, and it's sort of like after episode again. It's sort of around episode five. The series really kicks into. Like, yeah. It's it sort of revealed what's really going on yeah. here. I mean, my. I think my favorite episode of Blind Manor is Hannah's episode. It's either Hannah's episode or the penultimate episode where we see Theo again. Yeah. I think Hannah's episode was their two storms attempt. Yes. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent is. Yeah. Um, it felt a bit like um, maybe it's just because of the spoiler are we mm. spoiling it? yeah go on um, maybe it's because of the time hopping element but it's uh, it sort of reminded me a bit of the constant from Lost where it's Absolutely. sort of like yeah. this is the definitive like episode of the show yeah know? yeah um, I say actually so Bly Manor it had one jump in it for me okay and that jump it's one of the biggest jumps I've ever had right and it's not even like an obvious moment it's the moment where um, what's the name of the guy? Um, Owen. Owen. When Owen is talking to Hannah and like trying to ground her yeah. by having that conversation about like, when are you? You know, who are you? And then because like time is all blurring together and people are becoming different people and all that, when he just suddenly looks into camera and goes, Will! Or whatever the name is. It's Miles. Miles, sorry, yeah. Miles. Yeah. Um, that, I jumped so hard. Because <laughs> it's just like, you're so, it's such an intimate scene of the two characters like talking really quietly to each other. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he just looks at you. Yeah. And because it was, at you. It's so broke the fourth wall hmm. that like, it, oh, I just, it's so bad. <laughs> it almost leaved out my throat. Uh, I, the um, one thing I did like about uh, Bly Manor is uh, the dad from Hill House 
the young dad from Hill House. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's his name? Henry Thomas. Henry yeah. Thomas. Elliot. The fact that his ghost was himself, the real him. Okay. Yeah. I liked that, that. For me, was like the like a perfect embodiment of the phrase. There's a thin line between horror and comedy. Because whenever I saw the ghosts of Henry Thomas standing next to the real Henry Thomas, grinning maniacally. Yeah. I just found that funny. I don't know if that's just me, but... I didn't find it funny. I found it goofy. It didn't have the effect on me that it wanted to, certainly. No. Um, but the, see, that thing, even in execution, is not great. That was when I realized how much I liked what the series was doing with ghosts. That it, with him, it was guilt. You know, yeah. and yes. it was utilizing all these different ghosts for all these different reasons. Um, I mean, like in that Two Storms episode, the basic resolution. So, Two Storms is this, and it is the sixth episode, right? Of, of, yes, it of is. Hill House. And it, it plays out ostensibly as one shot, or yeah, it does, doesn't it? Ostensibly as it's, one. It's five long takes. But, yeah. but, it, but cut together to look like one, right? No, it's, it's genuinely five long takes. When do they cut? There's a couple of moments. Um, like, for example, I think the end of the first long take is when he walks into Hill House yeah. and the chandelier falls from the ceiling. There's yes. a cut after the chandelier falls. But they are genuine long takes. They're not, like, stitched together. Yeah, yeah, to but... Like- yeah, I know I know there are cuts, but what I'm saying is, is it, it's meant to look like one, right? Or or the cuts visible? No, the cuts are visible. Are they? Yeah. I thought it was just, like, the, the, the start and the ending of the episode that they broke that, but okay. But no, um, like, unlike a lot of long takes where it's like, oh, it's stitched together to look like... No, 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 no. These yeah. are genuine long takes. Genuine, and to, to the, down to the fact that you can see sometimes the actors not making mistakes, but saying things in a, in a way that usually you wouldn't find in a TV show. Yeah. Be, because they are making little mistakes and repeating themselves and... Yes. Um, makes it feel, you know, very real. Yeah. But like the the emotional thing, yeah. So it's all the family gathered in the gathered in the funeral home, and kind of going between that and one night in Hill House, where there was like a particularly it was well it was a storm, um, and all the characters like huddling together and trying to work out what's going on, and the the basic emotional resolution of that episode is that Nell was always there. Nobody just really took any paid her any notice, you know. Yes. And that was that's what the ghost was in that context. It's a thing that's always there. Yeah, because that's another thing never. about Two Storms is that the bent neck lady, which we now know to be Nell, yeah. is often in the background of shots. Yeah. And she's never focused on. Yeah. Like if you rewatch the episode, you'll see like she's always kind of in the background. Yeah. And then at the end of the episode, when that resolution happens, when Nell says, I was here, you just never saw me, yeah. everybody's walking out of the funeral home and Nell is standing next to her own coffin and yeah. nobody notices her. And mm. it is, it's genuinely like. Oh fuck! But that's like, it's, it's, it's horrible. It's ghosts and it's horror. But the only thing you leave with is heartbreak. <laughs> it's like yeah. that's so sad. Like that yeah. whole thing. Not depressing. No, not depressing. It's not depressing. It is just sad. It's sad. Yes, it's yeah. sad. But because the show is redemptive, isn't it? Hmm. I mean, I love the final episode of uh, Hill House. Yes, I think it wraps up wraps everything up really well. The, again, spoiler, the father, you know, sacrificing himself. I loved how the Hill House dealt with the idea of fathers and, and mm. children, you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, him deciding to stay there. And the thing... Did you weep at Hill House, Eddie? <laughs> did I you, did not did you weep? weep at Hill House. Well, you clearly have no heart then. <laughs> You've given yourself away, robot. If you're, not, <laughs> if you're not weeping at that ending montage where the care, the groundskeeper is carrying his dying wife to Hill House... And then sees his family reunited on the stairs, and you didn't weep. No, <laughs> there's something missing in you. 
Um, no, yeah. I, I, I've said to you before, but I will say it on the podcast so it's official record. Um, he looks too much like Dan Harmon, the groundskeeper. <laughs> okay. In that final scene where they've like made him up, in, they've done him up in old age makeup, mm. and he's like delivering his wife to Hill House. Yeah. He looks too much like Dan Harmon, and it just kind distracts of, you, does it? Yeah, it was too okay. distracting. Um, yeah, that for me is like one of the the highlights of the season, and. Um, uh, another thing that I love about uh, Hill House, we probably talked about this a bit on the podcast, is the monologue in the first episode. The lady whose husband Oh, the died. husband who died in the car accident. Yeah, and she saw yeah. him on the ceiling of her bedroom. Like, you see none of that. It's all just the power of dialogue and performance. Yeah. Hmm. And you don't even realise when you watch it that you're watching a monologue. No. no, that's the best thing about it. You know, sometimes when you're watching a film, it's like, oh, it's monologue time, mm. you know? But there's none of that. It's like, oh, she's been talking for quite a while now. <laughs> and like, I don't even know who she's speaking to. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. And just the way she makes you, she makes that come alive of how he looked, you know? There's a lot of that. There's a lot of um, monologues of like horrific incidents in Hill House yeah. that are often just as effective as the horror. I think the first couple of episodes of Hill House, the horror felt a bit too pop horror for me. Yes. You could be mistaken for thinking that Hill House is very conventional in, in its horror yeah. just from the first two episodes. Yes. I think it's not until episode three or four where it really starts to... The horror becomes much better. Well, I, ga- I gave up on it. You did? Yeah. No, yeah. yeah, I remember I, I watched two or so and I just gave up on it. And then yeah. I keep people just kept talking about it and, I, and its critical reception was staying very high. So it's like, oh, I suppose I'll give it a second go. Uh, I yeah. think episode two is the worst episode of Hill House. I agree. It's yeah. genuinely like when I rewatched it, it was like I'm not enjoying this at all. I just want to get to. I just want to get past this. You know, yeah, uh, that's yeah. even f- a great thing about Hill House, even as a miniseries and a through line, is it's a a show of episodes, which I really like yes. about it. It's you mm. know each episode has its own distinct identity you know like well it's something they sort of carry over into blind manor as well but yeah. each episode is sort of focusing on a different character yeah so it's um the story of hill house itself if you actually look at the narrative of what's happening not much really happens no like nell dies they go to a funeral and then they go to hill house that's basically all that happens yeah mm. but it's because it's telling the stories the backstories and how nell's death is affecting each individual character mm. like you have Theo's episode and you have Luke's episode and like that's what sort of fleshes out the story and that's what makes Hill House so effective yeah. is that you know every single character and where they're coming from Bly Manor does exactly the same like Luke is sort of framed to be the villain mm-hmm. of Bly Manor and then you sort of have his episode and you kind of get like oh I completely understand where he's coming from yeah. and sort of accept his motivations. Do you know what? Funnily enough, in that same Aaron Sorkin interview where he was asked, you know, the, the writers asking him questions, they said, what are your tips on writing villains? And he said something that's kind of obvious, but it was the way he phrased it. He said, well, obviously, they can't be a villain to you as the writer. They can never be a villain to you. Uh, they can be the villain to the audience, but you can never think of them as a villain. Yeah. And then he said, you have to write every character as if they're making their case before God why they should be allowed into heaven. I was like, okay. oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good, because yeah, uh, we've is... been working on a script for a while that has a, a villain in it, you know, like a villain villain. Yeah. I was like, oh, what, what if I took that approach? Like, what would he say? Mm. Like, what justified his his, mo- his actions? Yeah, he wouldn't get into heaven. No, no, really. no, he would, as it stands. But that, that made me think about, well, okay, 
what would his motivation be if he had to say why he did yes what he did you know yeah yeah and it made me think of like oh it would be his childhood like all this stuff happened to me like if you were brought up that way that's how you would be you know all the all these things mm. uh yeah hill house is brilliant to doing that uh, um contextualizing um villainy i suppose yes definitely i do have one question about the i know this is sort of jumping from like broader strokes into minutiae yeah i do have one question about i think it's the eighth episode yeah it's the eighth episode of blind manor it's the flashback episode where it sort of explains the origins of well the origins of the ghosts in blind manor basically yeah after theo has died Mm-hmm. and her sister is sort of taken over as the woman of the house. Mm-hmm. There's a moment where she's kind of walking down the stairs, and in the background, out of focus, Theo's portrait is clearly fucked up in some way. Right. Like, I don't know whether her head has become a skull. You don't see the details, but it looks like... like it looks not human. Yeah. Yeah. And then, obviously, the sister looks back, and the portrait is fine. Mm. I feel like that's the only moment that doesn't follow the internal logic of the show. Right. I don't know if you felt that. I don't know if that stood out to you, but I feel like whenever when the when the ghosts are explained, basically everything makes sense. Like the reason why ghosts are appearing where they are and the what the ghosts are doing and everything makes sense except that portrait. I don't understand that portrait. Yeah, it's like outside the law of of the Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. I don't I know. I think it's the only moment that that happens as well where a thing happens and it doesn't make sense i don't think i really noticed it i mean my relationship with the show has been like eddie asked how is she her own ghost it's like yeah it's conceptual you know what i mean like it there is no uh physical they don't follow a physical law in that way of yeah uh, i do it, have a similar question actually yeah. about blind manor um i'll try and be vague about it but yeah. why does at the beginning of the final episode Mm. Why does Theo accept Nell's deal? I'm trying to remember. I watched this a while ago now. Okay. Well, Theo is 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 in the lake. Yes. About to do what she's about to do. Yes. And then Nell comes along and offers her a deal, shall we say. Yes. And Theo accepts it. Right. Why? Is it I did I assumed it wasn't within Theo's control. I thought if you were saying that... Oh, yeah. Well, at this point, Theo is basically a creature of instinct. So no, I think... I, I feel like Eddie's right. I feel like it's that that, that sentence. It's like a it's like a, um, a spell, almost. Right. Right? Like, you say they that and they are bound the to do it. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. I think that's what it okay. is. Yeah, because the whole point is that it releases the other spirits, basically. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. That's yeah. the only point in the show... Like that—that's a—that's a nitpick. What I went about the portrait, mm-hmm. like that was just an unfortunate nitpick that I picked up on. That really wouldn't affect any—it wouldn't affect anyone's enjoyment of the show. I don't think. Yeah. But that was the one moment where I felt like I don't know if I've missed something, or whether this just doesn't make sense. But I would like to know why she accepted Nell's deal. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe I'll rewatch it at some point because, like I said, okay. I, I didn't get as much out of it as I wanted to. Okay. So maybe I will go back to it. Um. Okay, you, you, let's just zero in a little bit on Bly Manor then. Okay. Uh, the accents, as we've said, not great no, <laughs> across no. the board. They're ropey, but they mostly pass. Luke's accent is brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Um, that might be it, actually. <laughs> yeah, the only <laughs> other two, you've got Carla Gugino doing the English accent, which isn't good. No, and you've got no. um, Henry Thomas doing the like the RP 
accent, which is okay. RP plus slurred drunk. Yeah, it's just kind of just kind of posh, isn't it? Yes, talking like this throughout the whole kind of the show. It's an American doing a British accent. Yes, it is. Yeah, the the thing that wound me up early on, because they had a lot of English actors in this, is uh, Henry Thomas said to... I don't have any problem with Americans playing British people, especially if it's like the same cast. That's fine. Yeah. But it's it's that first meeting with him when he says, I think it's the first meeting, it took me six years to do the math. It's like, you're an American. You're a Brit- an Englishman. Why are you saying math? Oh, yeah. It would be maths. Like, and yeah, that's not just be. like a Sam nitpick. For a character like that, in that time, he would say maths. Yes, because yeah. they're supposed to be like upper society. Yes. Like proper, you know. Yeah, they live in maths. It would be maths. Yeah. yeah. And... I don't know when the show... The show is set in the 80s, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Tell that to everything about the show. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> it's like the 50s and the 60s, and the, it's just a weird blend. I don't know. Of- I, f- I felt like Nell's attire yes. was pretty on point. That was, but everything else, I guess they thought, oh, that's just what Britain is like. <laughs> it's all, it's like, all just Downton Abbey-ish. Yeah, looking. like vaguely yeah. Downton Abbey, but they've got cars now. And so, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it didn't really feel like an 80s thing. Um, in a way, it sort of felt timeless and i guess that's good yes mm-hmm. yeah that it could it could literally have been taking place at any time you know when did you guys realize the gardener was carla gajuno episode four okay eddie uh i honestly i got to the point where i i can't tell you what episode i just went it has to be her because i'm guessing nell must meet some kind of different fate okay um because i i i because the story didn't seem to be from Nell's point of view. Well, I, I think you're supposed to assume that the... Uh, what was her name again? The mother? Carla Gugino. Yeah, yeah. I, suppose, I suppose you're supposed to think she has no connection to the story whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, obviously, she does. Yeah. I think if you know anything about how film and TV works, she's obviously relevant. Yes. Well, the, yeah, I mean, um, the, the thing was that because the guy is uh, playing Owen is similar enough in the beginning. Oh, steady on, Eddie. No, he, they've gotten done fairly well in terms of aging up a different, yeah. a certain role. How, right, so... Right, yeah, Blay Manor ends. It's in the present day, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, what, like 30 years or so after the events of Blay Manor? Well, modern day, so yeah. It would yeah, be about 30, 40 years. 30, yeah. 40 years. Okay, so how old is Owen? What, in the 80s? In, yeah, he's like in his 30s at least. I'm not sure. I, I think he's meant to be younger than that, but... Uh, <laughs> because he does not... It looks like a guy that's like his slightly older brother. Yeah. It then, does not no, look it does no. look like him 30 years in the future. No, but I you could take the logic that it was meant to be the same person is what I... Yeah, no, 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 no yeah, I agree. I, but I think that was the flaw of the show, is that... It, yeah. That's him older? Okay. Yeah, because um, that, that was the thing that I took, was I went, okay, that's meant to be Owen... Mm. So is it meant to be from the point of view of Nell or Danny's? She or yes. She, yeah. Is it from her point of view? And then it just didn't feel like the story was when you were hearing that voiceover, which is obviously the storytelling. Mm. It didn't feel like it was coming from her point of view. So at that point, I was like, it must be a different character. It's female. Yeah. The person wasn't black, so it wasn't Hannah. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. You were running out of options after that. Okay. Because I don't want to sound like, oh, I was like way ahead of the curve. I knew instantly that it was her. Okay. And the only reason I knew instantly was because I think, right, if they're going to get an American actress to do a British accent, it's just going to be posh. Yeah. But the fact that she was doing a slightly northern thing, I was like, right, it's the gardener then. 
the gardener has heard. Like she's she's trying to do the gardener's accent. Oh yeah, it took me a little bit longer than you, yeah. but the yeah, the accent is the giveaway. I think. Yeah, um, it doesn't really spoil it. I don't think like knowing it's her. Yeah, but um, I I gotta say like for all my problems with it, I thought they did really stick the landing at the very end. Like when she's at the the wedding and like like people are like he holds up his glass yes. to her. It's like oh I like that. Mm. Right. What did I miss? I I must have missed it. Where's Miles? He's with Owen. He's standing next to Owen. Yeah. He's standing next to Owen. Is he okay? Yeah. Do, do they make he a hasn't point? He well. He looks like quite a creepy guy. <laughs> okay. Do they make a point of singling him out? Uh, what? Uh, the, so so that you know it's the young boy. Yeah. 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 When they flash back to what they look like when they were younger, Miles, is, you see it. Miles okay. and Owen share the frame, and Flora and uh, the father share a frame. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. I think I just missed that. I was like, oh, it's like if you were making a big deal about anybody at this wedding, it wouldn't be um, Owen. It would be Miles, you know. It would um, be Miles, yeah. But yeah, yeah, they share the frame together. Okay. Um, Greg Sestero is the husband. That was the first big surprise of the series for me. Explain. Greg Sestero, who plays the, the groom in the modern day, yeah. is uh, Mark from... Uh, hey, Mark. Oh, is it really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, he wrote The Disaster Artist. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was a big, is wonderfully that, under, underwhelming reaction there. Eddie. Is that is that Greg Sestero? So that was a, and then we get Garth Marenghi as well. Whoa, whoa! When does he show up? He's the dad. Is he? Yeah, he's their dad. Well, the well, the really old guy. No, no. When uh, before the, their parents pass away and we see. Oh flashbacks. no! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Because yeah, I thought I recognised him. Yeah, that's Matthew Holness, the Garth Marenghi. I thought I recognised the gardener. But she hasn't been in anything I've seen. No, yeah, I didn't recognize her. So she must her. just look like someone. Yes, yeah. Um, I recognized um, what's her face? The the housekeeper. Yeah, Hannah. you should. Yeah, you should recognize her. Yeah, she's from Doctor Who. I don't know yeah. if you remember uh, her. Sam. Nah, nah. It's Which very, one is she? It's a very minor uh, appearance. You know when uh, it's in Hellbent when the Doctor goes back to Gallifrey and he shoots the general, the like white bald yeah, male yeah, general, yeah, yeah. and he regenerates into her. And she's like, I'm so glad I'm a woman again. How did you cope uh, with all that? Right, ego? okay. She's that. Okay. I thought it was interesting, actually, that the one character that they've got that was in Doctor Who mm. is haunted by a crack in the wall. Oh, yeah. I wonder if he knew. I wonder if Mike Flanagan knew what he was doing. Do you think they asked Matthew Holness to be in it as an allusion to Garth Marenghi? I'm, I'm sure that was not the case. <laughs> no, I'm sure it was. Because, I mean, he's not like... He's not an actor, you know what I mean? No, but like how the fact it's that very like not Garth Marenghi. No, no, but it, the fact that it's horror, you know, that it's British horror, and so like, oh, it'd be interesting to get in. Uh, the guy but Garth Marenghi, Marenghi is not horror, crucially. No, well, it, but it is though, isn't it? It's it's, it's meant a parody to be. of, of yeah. horror. It's not, yeah, it's not horror. Yeah, but it's intended is, to be that. I mean, is Garth Marenghi well known enough? I think uh, there's like a cult, it has a cult American following. I've heard quite a lot of people talk about it whenever British comedians are on their podcasts. Right. They'll talk about Garth Marenghi and Alan Partridge and that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think a lot of American comedians are um, Anglophiles. I would say uh, like, there, there is an sense. article which is called The Haunting, the Haunting of Garth Marenghi's Dark Manor, which right. is okay. right. a, a, playing a joke on the idea of once you realize that he's in it, you do also wonder whether they try to get like Aya Wadi to play the cook or something. <laughs> right. Okay. Not Hannah, surely. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, I I liked the the ending where basically the idea was living with an illness. I thought that was really good. Mm. Yes, um, yeah. like it's going to get worse over time, but for today, like you're all yeah, right. exactly. Um, really liked that. And finally, my final note. 
No, that is it. <laughs> I, I blue balled you then. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to have to contrive a final note. Yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose the villain, if any, of this series... No, I feel like it's unfair to call her a villain because, like, the bent neck lady, I guess, was the villain of of Hill House. And by the end, she's not the villain at all. There isn't really a villain. Is there? I suppose if there's a villain, it's the mother, isn't it? I suppose the mother, yeah. It, it, um, well, she functions the villain role in terms of the character who is the most evil. Mm. It's that woman, isn't it? The the ghost. Um, Screaming memes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the, the purely sadistic, doesn't give a shit, you know. Yeah. Yes, okay. Um, I suppose the most iconic horror monster. Mm. Like, of the first series, it was the Bent Neck Lady. Of this series, it's uh, Blank Face Theo. I don't know what else to call her. Because she doesn't yeah. really have a name. The Lady of yeah, the her, Lake. Lady of the Lake. The lady of the Lake. Her, okay. her and Orange Glasses Man, in terms of iconic. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that was silly to me. Because that's a very common anime trope. Is it? Is, yeah, like, you see it a lot in animes where if there's, like, a villainous character mm. or an intelligent character who's like plotting something right the their eyes are completely obscured by their glasses are completely glowing right okay so you can't see their eyes at all right so in a lot of like animes it's sort of like you know as the villain's about to like do something they like push up their glasses and their eyes get covered okay so i was just thinking of anime whenever i saw him okay especially at the end of like episode three where he like flies back into the house yeah, yeah <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah. they're about to sort of like start fighting so i laughed i'm at that. going to assume that mike flanagan like me has no idea about that yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> and like, i don't know yeah. whether he should i don't know like if that if there's going to be enough of a crossover of people who know anime probably people not. who watch this who will be bothered by the fact that no he's a presence i mean i i liked the reveal of why he had those yeah. eyes yeah. yeah it was well done and it's in it's interesting that he's kind of set up from the very beginning as like oh he's going to be the thing that Nell is going to have to overcome, mm-hmm. and then by he's the end the, of I think he's episode the James Lafferty of Hill House, yeah, and then by the end of kind of episode four she confronts him and he's sort of done. We don't even really see the end of that story. Mm-hmm. We just see her yeah like confronting him yeah. So that was interesting. I suppose um, is there also that thing of like it's her becoming comfortable with her sexuality. I think it's that as well. Yeah, I didn't see that coming. The gardener yeah. I saw coming immediately. I was yeah. like, oh, she's gay. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't see Nell being gay. Well, I, as a I'm going to say at, the, at this point, when it comes into whatever the next haunting of series is, uh, we know for sure there's going to be a lesbian partnership. I was going to say, is that one of the tropes that, that's that carried over between seasons? It'll, it'll be a lesbian or a gay partnership, shall we say? Yeah, I, th- I think a trope purely out of the fact that you'll want to get a bit of um, diversity in, in that sense. Although I will say, um, Bly Manor is a very diverse season of television. Yeah. Mm. There's like a couple of white males, but most of the characters are either like minorities or they're women. And gay. And it was nice for a show to do that and not make a big deal of it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It doesn't matter. No. The characters' genders and race, it doesn't matter. Yeah. 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 That was nice that I didn't have to, you didn't have to like put up with all of that there's a little bit of that there's a little bit of like you know um oh powerful women are always like crushed by men but that just feels like a conversation the characters are having rather than a point the show is making right yeah generally eddie you're a fan of both generally speaking yeah hill house is for sure better yeah um i just hope it doesn't do the american horror story thing yeah because i am a big fan particularly of the first two series of american horror story same 
I really like the first yeah, two. They're the, great. the third is pretty that good. That and Coven yeah. as well. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I mean, if, you, if you're going to buy them, you buy the first four of American Horror Story. That's how, the rule. Yeah, four is good. But four was like where it started. It, it was a step down a little bit. Yeah. But if, yeah, if you're going to buy, you buy up to four and then you leave it. That's um, exactly what I did. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping that if I was going to buy this for argument's sake, obviously I, it's on Netflix, so there's no need. But Hill um, House is out on DVD though. I recommend you buy it because there are extended episodes and director's commentary on a few of them. And they're up there with the better director commentaries I've okay. listened to. I'm trying not to buy more things, Sam. <laughs> for fuck's sake. Yeah. <laughs> trying to cut down on the amount I spend on <laughs> stuff I can watch online. Although they have just, re- they've, re- they've released a Blu-ray of Marriage Story. It's like 25 quid. Um, I'm 100% going to buy it at some point. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Um, but yes, no, I, 100% I would recommend both series. So Yeah. Hill House is definitely the superior series. Yeah. I'd recommend both. Would you recommend watching Bly Manor first so that you're like ending on high with Hill House? That's not a bad shout. Yeah. Cause yeah. Really, I think that might be a better move. There's really no need to watch them in order. No. So, no. Um, yeah. Watch watch Bly Manor. That's the thing. Watch Bly Manor. If you like Bly Manor, you will like Hill House. Oh, you'll love Hill House. Yeah. Yes. If, if you like Bly Manor, yeah, you're going to love Hill House. Yeah. But I'm not sure yeah. the same applies the other way around. No. Um, all right. Is that it then for this episode? Yeah. I think that's yeah, everything. I think so. Um, uh, was it more structured than usual? No. <laughs> <laughs> not in the fucking slightest <laughs> point. Decide, audience, no, I think. Um, okay. Although, for the three people that have stayed until the end, thank you for listening. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> thank you. Um, and yeah, we'll see you again next week. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao. Bye.